All right, Liza. Yes. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here, and especially with you. I'm your biggest fan. Are you excited to announce Best Picture? Oh, yeah. And oh, the yeah. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. <laughs> Plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? Oh, sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah! I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on me here. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. I've never done anything without my family before. Channel people, and welcome to our 94th episode of Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where we travel through time, reviewing the films that earn their gold statue, or standard, if you will. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me at the Gold Standard Theatre are my two podcasting partners in crime. On one side, the professional nerd herself, Rachel Friend. Hey, Rachel, how are you today? Uh, we almost reached above freezing and the sun was out today. I'll take it. <laughs> well, hopefully you won't get too much snow. Cross my fingers. Exactly. We'll all, <laughs> we'll, all, we'll all cross it biggest for you indeed. And of course, on the other, the Ghostwood Girl, Zan Sprouse. Hey, Zan, how's life treating you? We got neither of those things today. Nowhere near freezing and it is gloomy and gray out. So I'm, I'm hanging in there as much as my uh, SAD will allow. Mm -hmm. Fair or... enough. Well, yeah, exactly. So right, right there with you. So, of course, today we are reviewing Coda. This was directed and written by Shan Hader. This film was based on the French-Belgian film La Famille Bélier from 2014, while the score was by Marius de Vries. On estimate to point today's money, this movie cost $11 million to make and made roughly $2 million at the box office. It debuted at the Sundance Festival on January the 28th of 2021. Then Apple decided to grab it and send it to streaming, which is probably why it made... For $25 million. <laughs> exactly. And that's why you know, the, the, the returns of the box office were what they were. It didn't make its money back, at least at the box office. Because you cannot watch this anywhere except on apple tv unless you that, go to 
parts of the internet where stuff is free. (laughs) (laughs) Where not even demons dare tread. This is very true. (laughs) And so, yes, it was released to Apple Apple TV on August the 13th of 2021. And has a runtime of roughly one hour and 51 minutes. So, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of Coda? I'll start out by saying this is the... This is one of the most cleverly titled movies we've ever talked about. Coda, the musical term meaning something that comes that crescendos to an end, that come that the ending of something. And this is very much something comes to an end in, in this movie, and it is the end of extreme inappropriate codependency. And you're just so happy for our main character that she is essentially no longer a a tool for her family you know she's treated you know they they very much do love her but they are so incredibly and so inappropriately codependent on her that it's difficult to watch them and you're so excited when she gets away from that and can be herself and they can just be a family rather than the codependency and of course coda standing um child of deaf adult and that's you know that's what she is that's that's what ruby is she is the child of deaf adults she's she's the only hearing one in an entirely deaf family and so it's a very clever title and we have a few movies this year that are sort of slice of life movies that you know not you know <laughs> long gone are the days of sweeping historical dramas i think <laughs> um you know, but but things like, you know, things like Drive My Car and Licorice Pizza, they're just sort of like, here's how people are, people are just living. <laughs> and this is definitely one of them, but it's something we don't often see with, um, you know, a fishing family and especially, especially a non-hearing family. And it's something that, as we can see in this movie, the... You know, the non-hearing communities tend to be extremely insular because of the resistance, I think, from the rest of the hearing world to even attempt to learn ASL, American Sign Language. Um, the fact that ASL is not offered as a language course in American schools, it, it shocks me. Um, because it's a very it's incredibly useful it's incredibly useful and it opens up communication on a level that doesn't put the burden of action on just one person you know when when you're learning a spoken language you can kind of sort of figure things out with if it's a romance language and you know anything about a romance language you can probably get by that kind of a thing um, you're going, especially here in the United States, you're going to find someone who can speak Spanish a lot faster than you can find somebody who speaks ASL, which is unfortunate, I think. Um, and it's hard to hard to find places that that do it. Like, like I said, it's not offered in school the way like French or Spanish or German or something like that is is offered in schools. So, you know, you have these very very tight knit communities, and even in this movie, they're they're they they don't want to interact with the other with the other wives or the, you know, the hearing bitches. <laughs> Maybe if you didn't call them hearing bitches, they wouldn't be mean to you. <laughs> um, so 
it's an interesting sort of slice of life story. And, you know, like aside from, you know, like Forrest Gump, when have we seen an Oscar winning movie about fishermen? fishermen? Like we don't usually see that. And we don't usually see, we don't like to think about where our food comes from here in the United States. So we don't see a lot of movies about fishing or farming or livestock or anything like that. Um, you know, and we kind of have two this year <laughs> with, you know, kind of with power of the dog, you know, we have more, another farming story. So I think this was a well-performed story with a main character that I really, really liked that just infuriated me on so many levels of the inappropriateness of what was expected of her. And I think this is a fantastic movie for any parents to see, to see how being codependent on your child can be detrimental to your child. And that, like she even says to her mother, why is it always about you? That, you know, having a child means it's not about you. And when childhood comes to an end, your, your expectations of what your child can be to you also has to come to an end because once they become an adult that then becomes their choice and you have to allow it to be their choice and you have to take yourself out of the equation because now it's your child's life and it has nothing to do with how you feel about your child or what your life choices have been as much as you want to be close to your child being physically close may not be what is their best path. And I think this movie gives that message very well, regardless of the state of the parent. You know, whether the parent, you know, I, I don't care if you, if you're starting a business or not, or if you are in financial issues, or if you have been utilizing your child's multilingual talents to help you with your business. Um, you can't choose a life for someone. And this movie does a great job of illustrating exactly why you can't. Uh, very well said indeed. And, I, and it was fun. It was interesting to see once Coda won Best Picture, Shan Hader's uh, X account, time was Twitter just blew up. I was like, wow, okay. She had, like, had a couple thousand followers. I was like, what the heck happened? And it's like, it was impossible to follow Shan Hader anymore. But to that said, Rachel, what did you make of this one? Yeah, Zayn's exactly right. I, I found myself multiple times getting very, very frustrated with Ruby's family, um, especially her mother, um, which is a shame because Marlene is a, a treasure uh, <laughs> and a fantastic actress. Um, as someone who both has has experience personal experience and then also observational experience with codependent relationships it is so so frustrating and really exhausting i mean when ruby you know has her breakdown you talks about how she wants to go to college and you know explains to her parents like you know i've been interpreting for you my entire life since the moment she was old enough to be able to sign she's been 
their interpreter and she wants to actually you know ha- be her own person not just their extension of them that allows them to communicate with the rest of the world and you know for you know it, it can be for a number of reasons you know it can be fear it can be narcissism it can be just plain ignorance that these you know that sometimes these people don't realize how much they are taking and taking and taking and taking from the person until the person really doesn't have it's the giving tree is what it is uh yeah this kind of, and it's been floating around my facebook feed the, the last couple of days where somebody's done an updated version and the giving tree is like no we're i'm gonna set some boundaries now yeah, you know, you're not going to take any more from me. And then it's like, oh, the tree and the little boy live happily ever after. <laughs> you know, it's like, you kind of need, you got to do that. You have to set boundaries. Otherwise, it's, it's just, it's, it can be mentally, emotionally, and physically uh, detrimental to everyone involved. Um both the the giver and the taker and yeah this is you know you could easily take her family's you know unique situation you know in this case she's the only hearing person in a family of deaf people but you could easily make it you know that even just one parent or her sibling has some sort of disability or malady or something that's causing her to kind of be the linchpin to hold this family together and it would still apply. Um, So, you know, not everyone has experience with those that are hearing impaired and or completely deaf. Um, You know, my mom uh, has been able to sign since she was a kid because she had a classmate who was deaf. So she learned how to sign um and multiple times she's tried to teach me how to sign and i just haven't gotten the hang of it yeah that's not for trying but i just i've not gotten the hang of it um and uh you know that's it's it's you know she's fortunate that she started out young so it's stuck with her you know throughout her life uh and she's had lots of opportunities to 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 use it you know to keep practicing and stuff so um but you know, whatever the otherness is, air quotes, that, you know, set someone aside, you know, make someone stand out in society. Um, I think, uh, you know, anybody watching this movie will be able to recognize the social placement of all of, of, all of these characters and how that can create different relationships um you know and how it can affect those relationships whether it's business whether it's romantic whether it's familiar whatever um so even if you don't know the first thing about sign language other than maybe the how how to say i love you that's pretty universal um that and the middle finger uh because that's pretty universal as well (laughs) uh i i think this is something that's 
most I think a lot of people, if they watch it, they can take away something from it, even if it's not exactly their own life experience. Oh, oh, indeed. I mean, I've I've uh, always wanted to learn, you know, sign language or American language or sign language in general. One, one of my best friends is currently doing an online course to learn it because he's always been enamored with it and so fascinated with it. So he's currently doing it. So he's kind of teaching me what he learns at his, at his online classes. And it's fascinating and just beautiful to, to just sort of see. When it comes to this movie, when I first came across it, like quite a few people, my first reaction was, what the hell is this movie? As clearly looking at its takings, as we mentioned, not many people got to see it. And I'm honestly so glad that because this podcast I did, as this movie made me run the gamut of emotions, it made me smile, it made me laugh out loud, it made me cringe, it made me cry, you name it, I felt it. Granted, somebody could say, people could say this film doesn't bring anything new to the table if you look at the bare bones story, i.e. young person coming of age, wanting more for themselves and attempting to come to grips with growing up from teenager to young adult, complex family dynamics, falling in love, etc. But that said, the way the story is told and the characters that populate it are what makes this movie special and heartfelt and why I was along for the ride for the 111 minutes of it. And I had a huge smile on my face, actually, when it came to the ending. I was just like, yeah, you go. It's a, it's, it was, it's, it was, it's a beautiful film. And, uh, and the performances are great. And I think uh, Shan Hader did a great job. And looking forward to seeing what else she will, she will bring us next. So uh, getting to our characters on the board, let's start off by looking at our coda herself. We have, of course, Emilia Jones as Ruby Rossi. So, Rachel, starting with you, what did you make of Ruby? She is someone of a age who has got a lot on her shoulders that someone of her age should not. Um, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, in, in certain, um, certain places, yeah, you're going to have... Um, you know, kids that, uh, you know, have to help out with the family business, you know, if they're like a, a farming family, uh, you know, something very, um, you know, blue collar like that, where they make their money, uh, you know, on their own. Um, so that's understandable, but the, the fact that, she, you know, she's, she's more than that. And in a strange psychological whatever, you know, I'm putting on my armchair psychologist hat here. Um, she's she's stuck in this weird push pull because her family relies on her so much and expects so much of her. Which is a lot for someone of her age. And at the same time, her mother is like, she's my baby. You know, I can't let her go to college. She's only a baby. It's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't treat her like an adult and also exclaim that she's your baby and you can't let her leave the nest. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. Um, so... You know, she's uh, Ruby's got this, you know, this push pull because she's like she she doesn't know she's so enmeshed. There's a psychological word for you, kids. She's so enmeshed into 
the fabric that is her family that she has this fear that if she tries to go off and do her own thing with the you know it's like pulling the thread on something on a sweater and sometimes the thread just the loose thread just pops off and you're fine you could continue to wear the garment but sometimes you yank the thread and the whole thing just falls apart and that's obviously what she's afraid of uh, among other things and she is it, it's a, a, a it's a tough situation to be in and the fact that she you know she really hasn't the fact that it doesn't seem she's had a chance to kind of like let this stuff out and have kind of a breakdown before this is kind of concerning <laughs> um that you know the I mean, yeah, she's, I mean, she's reaching because of this opportunity that's presented to her by joining the choir and having someone pluck her out as an individual and say, you are special, you are unique, you have something you could offer the world as an individual. It creates this tipping point for her and she has to make a decision where she's never really been in this situation before and she doesn't know how to handle it and you know in reality she probably really should be like seeing a school counselor not just her music teacher <laughs> um the whole family should probably consider ca counseling um but you know they, they live in a, a small town you know in in the the you know the 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 coast you know the northeast and the massachusetts or um you know it's a little fishing town and um it's i i saw some of myself in ruby and that made watching this difficult at at times cuz i was just like you know flashbacks <laughs> um and you know, I really fell for her. And um, you know, Emilia who plays her is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, she threw herself into this. You know, she learned ASL, she had took single, she even learned how to work on a fishing trawler because all their fishing scenes were legit. You know, they were out there actually catching fish and uh, they even had they had to have one of those supervisor people out there at one point because uh, <laughs> that's a thing that's actually real. Um, so, uh, you know, she you know threw herself into this into this character, and you know, I believe that she's this you know seventeen ish year old who's you know finding a first love and finding something that makes her happy in this case you know singing uh in the in the school choir and giving her something to connect with her peers um in a way that she hasn't before because it, it seems like she's been bullied in the past you know she she gets she's been singled out by you know, that school's equivalent of regina george apparently um and um 
you know, she just wants to be, she just wants to be, you know, high school senior getting ready to become an adult and figure out her place in life. And yeah, I just really, I really fell for her. I really did. You know, she's, um, you know, in very stereotypical TJ teenage fashion, you know, her parents are embarrassing and, you know, even without the having to translate, you know, for her, her dad's very vivid description of jock itch for the doctor. Um, you know, yeah, she's, you know, she definitely has the mindset of, oh, my parents are embarrassing. My brother's stupid. You know, nobody gets me. You know, all I have is my one best friend. And, you know, I like this boy, but it terrifies me and all those things. And it's like, uh, you know, it's also, it's uh, making it difficult for her to realize the blessings that she also has you know the fact that her parents do love each other have a very loving relationship um you know and her her brother is you know becoming uh you know a, a pillar of the the family as as well being the the older brother you know putting in the work willing to jump in when they decide to you know to to start their own business and stuff so yeah and on a lot of ways, she's a very stereotypical, you know, high school kid, high school senior. Um, but she has this very unique, unique set of circumstances that, um, you know, could probably break another person. <laughs> like I said, I'm so, you know, surprised she didn't, you know, just suddenly decide to just run off and start skipping work on a more regular basis um but uh she's got a kind heart she's got a kind heart she really loves her family it's obvious that they they love her um it's just the circumstances that they've been dealt in life have created this particular kind of you know wind whirlwind of you know uh, uh decisions that they're all kind of faced with and um it's figuring out how to work together as a family and not just as a working family um you know, obviously they figured out how to do the fishing part of it, you know, just fine. They, you know, they know what their individual jobs are on the boat. You know, they know what they're looking for, the catch, you know, what to keep, what to not, that sort of thing. It's off the boat and in real life that they need to figure out how to work together in a way that benefits everyone the best that they can. And um, yeah, I kind of want to go back to therapy now. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I was thinking about it anyway, but I think this might have pushed me over the edge of, yeah, I should probably give my therapist a holler and be like, hey, can I start up therapy again? Because <laughs> so, I, I feel for her. I really do. Well, I guess then more power also to Amelia Jones for doing just such a great job and making this character literally come to life. And Zan, what did you make of our gal from Gloucester, Massachusetts? 
I adored this character. She was everything I wish I could have been when I was her age. She was so perfectly cynical, so perfectly confident in being able to fight back when she needed to, but at the same time, she had a vulnerability about her because life was not easy for her by association, which is so incredibly unfair. Basically, if you are someone that makes fun of someone's disability or someone's disabled family member, you are a piece of garbage and I hope bad things happen to you. And this poor kid had so much on her shoulders by straddling both worlds, by straddling both the hearing and the non-hearing world, because her family was not hearing and she was their translator probably as soon as she could understand words in general and had so much to do with that and so much she should not have been doing in that situation. And because of her family needing someone that can straddle both worlds and essentially not being able to afford someone to do it for them professionally. And I just don't mean having like an in-home aid or something. I mean, someone on the boat with them. Also, screw that, that boat person, that, 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 that advisor, that boat advisor, like she couldn't have come out and tapped somebody on the shoulder and been like, Hey, the radio has been going off for five minutes and the coast guard is honking at us. Like what the hell was she doing? Okay. I hated that woman. I hated her. I hope bad things happen to her. Um, that's what I mean when I say professionally, that they couldn't have a boat hand that was able to help them professionally with their work. So she has all of the trials and tribulations of a teenager living in the hearing world and living in the non-hearing world because she's experiencing some of the isolation with her family because she's still getting the same crap. You know, she's, she's the girl with the deaf parents. And of course, when she started coming to school, she learned to talk in a family of non-hearing people. So as she said, you know, when they said, how, how did you talk funny? I talked like a deaf person. And deaf people speak quite a bit through their nose to feel the vibration, to see that they're actually speaking. And she, that's how she talked when she first got to school and people made fun of her. Um, those people are garbage. Um, any teachers that allowed that were garbage and any parents that allowed that or encouraged that or also got in on it are garbage too. Like, you know, the guy that um, called Leo a freak at the bar. It's like, please punch that guy in the face. Um, it, I have very little patience for anybody who makes fun of disabilities. <laughs> very little patience for it. Um, because it's like, you know, as soon as you realize that someone is is talking in a way you're not used to because they have a situation with their body that you're not used to um it's not freaking funny anymore i mean it never particularly was funny you know it doesn't matter if there's a reason why someone is not talking in a way that you can understand you know unless i don't know unless they thought it was funny to take a whole you know to take a whole bottle of gummies at a party like it's not funny um so she's dealing she's dealing with that and because of what she went through as initially coming to school sounding like a deaf person as she says 
she's she's feeling the 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 prejudices of the hearing world against the non-hearing world and she's having to deal with a lot of preconceived notions and prejudices her family has about hearing people you know those hearing bitches don't want me around and having to basically say look the world is kind of full of assholes but you have to sort of find the decent people um and she's so disregarded by her family because they are not fully part of her world you know the way her mother says that a record player is a waste of time and or a waste of money and things like that that you know it, it just seems like she's so like just <sighs> disregarded best word i can say like oh that's a hearing problem we have no time for that here um you know the whole like you know wearing headphones is rude at the table because they can't share in it you know and, and because of that she's sort of not able to have anything of her own and there is a strange irony to the fact that what she loves in life is something that her family can't share with her but that's it's not something that is so outlandish you know having a love for music and having a love for singing and performing is not is not totally outlandish it's it's not like I'm trying to even think of a good of a good example, but a kid wanting to be a musician, not the weirdest story we've ever heard. And so, you know, she's dealing with prejudices from school. And this seems like, you know, like like Rachel was saying, this is a small town. And, you know, I grew up in a small suburb, but like if you went to school starting from kindergarten and you graduated in the 12th grade, stuff you did in the first grade, people were still bringing up later. And so here she was, this weird girl with this weird family, according to all of these. I just, I still can't believe there's people like this in 2021. <laughs> like, why the hell are people this shitty? <laughs> so, um, so she has to deal with all of that. And she has to deal with the fact that there is a responsibility that she has there to her family business. You know, the, the family business is something special. to th That means something to her. And, you know, she has this music teacher that doesn't seem to quite understand. It's like, why are you wasting my time? And I just wanted to yell at her. Why aren't you telling him what you're doing? Why aren't you, why aren't you sharing with anyone what your, what your life is comprised of? And I don't feel like she can tell anyone because I don't feel like her parents pay any attention. I don't feel like her family. Well, I think Leo starts to, and it takes her parents an awfully long time, but her, but her family's not paying attention to what's going on in her life that has to do with the hearing part of her life and anybody else in her life really doesn't understand or, ha or is paying attention to what's going on in in her non non-hearing aspect of her life so she's being pulled in so many different directions and so many more directions than any kids should be pulled in this is an age where kids should be doing what she's doing preparing for college figuring out what college she wants to go to doing well in school you know, and here she is getting up at three in the morning to go, you know, <laughs> to go out on the fishing boat with her family. And it's like, yes, the family business is important, but the family business should also be a choice. And she's almost not given a choice. She's doing it because she loves her family. And when you have a situation where a child feels like they need to be a protector for their parents, something is wrong. And in this case, there's not necessarily anything wrong in the family. 
there's a few things wrong in the family because the family is way too relaxed with her, way too codependent on her, and they have nowhere near enough boundaries. And we will talk about that when we talk about the family. But what the reason she has to be more of a caregiver is, like I said, because we live in this world that has seemingly has no time for the non-hearing and they don't want to meet anybody halfway you know even with even with lip reading i the, the we have a grocery store near us that has traditionally hired a lot of hearing impaired people and i have heard some older people talk about that that one checkout kid that talks funny and it's like oh <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is look directly at him when you're talking and don't talk too fast and don't cover your, I mean, it's not that freaking hard. That is a compromise that is still like 90, 10. All you have to do is talk slowly and they have to learn how to read lips. I mean, it's, there's, <laughs> you know, and anytime I heard anybody say anything about that guy, I just wanted to punch them. He was such a nice kid. <laughs> But, you know, there are there are ways of trying to interact and the family definitely feels like the world is against them or the community is against them. Because how many other deaf father son fishing boats were there in that particular part of the water? They were the only one. And she was there and able to say, you're getting ripped off because I heard him say somebody else to something, something else to someone else. They, you know, you know, my father and my brother can't hear that you're giving someone else another deal. Don't rip anybody off. And so it's like this, the shitty world we live in is more responsible for this girl having to be her family's caretakers than the family is. But again, the family starts to rely on it too much. And the family starts to not realize that they need a contingency plan for when her childhood is over and she can start making choices because she may not make the same choice. She may not make the family business choice. And she's, <laughs> she has a level of cynicism and worldliness that I don't see in a lot of kids <laughs> because she's getting involved in things that she shouldn't have to be involved in because of necessity. And that makes me sad for her. She's, you know, growing up faster than she needs to and putting up with things that, you know, would, it, I would rather pour bleach in my eyes before I had to deal with some of the stuff she has to talk about with her family. And I'm so excited for her when she finds the courage to say, no, I love this. This is a kid who, you know, she, she's obviously, it, 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 it's like, is she really into obscure music or is obscure music which she's able to find at the flea markets and 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 garage sales that she can afford because because her family is like no music's a waste of time or or a waste of money and you know if, if you haven't listened to the shags you should um but the fact that she's obviously very into music and the history of music and all different types of music and she's finally and she finally gets to the point where she's confident and brave enough to say this is something i love i don't love it in spite of you i don't love it as a as a as an fu moment or anything like that the way the mother implies but she's able to figure out that there is something that she loves that 
she can't necessarily share with her family in the way that someone would traditionally be able to share it with her family. You know, I love where she does her solo and the family can tell that she's doing really well because they see just the faces of other people reacting to how good she is. And that's such a difference from, you know, she wants to be a singer. Well, what if she sucks? Like they have no idea whether she's good or not. So they can't encourage her and they don't know if they should encourage her. And I understand that. I understand not wanting to have someone put in time and money and effort into something that that isn't that that great. I have terrible hand-eye coordination and I'm 5'6". Am I going to be a basketball star? Probably not. Like, what is the point? But somebody who doesn't know anything about basketball can't be making that decision for me. And I, even though they might want to and say like, oh, this is probably not a good idea. And I can understand her parents wanting to protect her from the sadness of failure and the the pain of rejection and all of that. But at the same time, it just comes off as so dismissive of her. The family seems so incredibly dismissive of her that it makes me makes me sad for her. And then she meets this guy who I am not rooting for this love story. Okay. I am not a hundred percent sure I'm rooting for any love story in this, except the Leo Gertie love story actually comes to something. You know, when Leo's having that moment of Gertie tells me you're really good. You shouldn't, you know, I am the, you know, I am the older brother. I should be here taking care of things. You need to get the hell out and do your own thing. But it's like, it, it, it's sort of like, oh, okay, there's a reason he and Gertie hooked up. It's for him to get that bit of information. Okay, that's fine. Miles could suck it. The second she comes to school and somebody's making fun of the fact that her parents were having sex, I'm like, Miles can suck it. Like the fact that Miles told somebody about that and said you know it, it could have been something as easy as yeah dude it was really weird her parents didn't know we were there so they started having sex and then all they wanted to talk about was condoms i mean there were ways to do it but he obviously impersonated them which is why the you know he, he told somebody and he told and of course he knew that that was going to spread like wildfire um miles can suck it i'm glad he didn't get into Berkeley. i'm glad he didn't go to school with her because I would have hated to see her feel indebted to him as well. I mean, I think he tried to, he, he figured out what he did was wrong, but I was sort of like, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't, I didn't trust him. I, so, you know, she has this guy and then she has this teacher that is like, everybody is expecting her to interact with them on their terms. The teacher is saying, you know, I don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. It's like, well, your time and my time don't actually match up with each other. I understand you're a new dad and there's other things, but can we maybe have a conversation about this? Um, you know, Miles is kind of insensitive about talking about, uh, you know, also, I don't want to hear about anybody's parents having sex. I don't care if it's my bully. I don't care if it's my my biggest enemy. I don't care if it's my best friend. I don't want to hear it. Why would he tell anybody? Um, but I think he does at least give her something and say, you know, you actually love this. It comes naturally to you. I'm doing this because it's expected of me. And, you know, is he is at least encouraging and he is at least there to encourage her, not encourage her to encourage him, which I think we have traditionally seen in love stories about young people that are trying to achieve a goal. I think a lot of it, I, I think he's, He's 
more about her than he is about her helping him or them helping each other, which I thought was really wonderful about Miles, even though I was like, I don't know if I would have dated him because I don't know if I would have. I mean, I might have been friends with him at his house, but I don't know if I would have trusted him after that. Um, But yeah, everyone seems so ready to dismiss her and so ready to be upset when they don't, when she doesn't do things on their terms that the fact that this movie ends with her doing something for herself on her terms is really fantastic for her because I absolutely adored this character. And that's, and that's wonderful to hear. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually in agreement with both the Yuzan and Rachel. I mean, aside from Ruby and her family's questionable choice in hockey team, I mean, I get it. You're from the Massachusetts area, so you will support the Bruins, but ugh. Whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Everybody makes mistakes. All right. Exactly. I'm like, nobody's perfect. I'm like, yeah, I just saw the Bruins shirt. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to have to look at that. All right. That aside, this tiny pet peeve aside, Ruby, I think, like her family, is very much a social outcast. As we see, she barely has any friends outside of her horny friend, Gertie, and is very much considered the weird kid. As we learn that like you mentioned, Zan, when she first started school, she, in inverted commas, talked funny. I assume, you know, like you were saying, coming from a deaf family, she then learned how to speak as her school days went on and is trying to balance her teenage life between school and helping her family with their livelihood, i.e. fishing. And also this is, a, is considered a stigma for her at school. As at times, you know, understandably, she literally has to head off to school after working on the boat and doesn't get the chance to shower or change. So, I mean, it's not her fault. And it very much shows you how tough high school can be for certain kids and how cruel kids can be to those who are seen as different, even today, unfortunately. I mean, this likely causes her, I think, maybe a little bit socially awkward and throw herself into her passion, which is singing, and her terror of not being good at what she loves the most. But hey, she turns out she has an awesome set of pipes. And though she loves her family dearly, I think she clearly wants to leave the nest, you know, live her own life and pursue her passion. And music seems to be the only place where Ruby feels herself, as she may also feel an outcast at home as well, as she is the only non-deaf member of her family. I think this point is brought up when she asks her mother whether she had hoped that she had been born deaf like her brother Leo. And this at times is the cause for distress on her part as she tries to find her own place in the world. And I guess despite the difficulty of attempting to balance being there for her family and following music tutelage under Mr. V, she ultimately is able to do what she loves and make it to Berkeley. And as tough as she appears to be on the inside, there is a lot going on with Ruby. And I was so glad everything turned out okay for her. And hey, you know, also we're getting with the boy she liked in the process, even though Miles, yes, is a is certainly a questionable character indeed. But uh, yeah, I, I love this character like both of you. And I think uh, Emilia did a fabulous job playing her. So let's get to Ruby's family. We have, of course, Troy Kotsur as Frank Rossi, the ageless and gorgeous Marley Matlin as Jackie Rossi and Danielle Durant as Leo Rossi. So Zan, what did you make of the rest of Ruby's family? I started out detesting these parents. They have no boundaries with this girl and boundaries they absolutely should have. Um, The fact that they are, it's one thing to, you know, ask your daughter for help medically. when, When you are helping your parents medically, you have to talk about things you don't necessarily like to talk about. Um, It's one thing to be told by your daughter you can't 
have sex anymore. But then to say, that's impossible. Look at how hot your mother is. It's like, dude, knock this shit off. That is really grossing me out. Um, the fact that they don't check to see if anybody's home before they start having, you know, vocal sex. You know, I don't care if you can hear or not. If you can feel that your chest is vibrating, you're making noise. Also, furniture makes noise. <laughs> check and see. Also, lock the damn door. Because as you saw, she just opens the door and does the light switch. It, it is like, you need to check and see if nobody's home. Okay. Because in a non-hearing family, you're going to have to walk in the door and say, hey, I'm here or something. And nobody wants to see that. Right. Nobody wants to hear about that. And even with this family's two in each other's shit. And I think the parents set the tone for that. Because even when they're at the dinner table and Leo's looking through Tinder, that, that shouldn't be a family activity. And the way Marley Matlin's character says, well, music is, is just for you and Tinder's something we can enjoy as a family. No one should be enjoying Tinder as a family. You need to stop this. They, there were just, there were so many boundaries that they were crossing that made me so uncomfortable and so upset for her. And it just set the tone for they are not realizing that they are parents. They are treating her too much like, a, too much like a friend or an employee or something, you know, where it's just, this is somebody who, we have to tell everything to because we have to tell everything to them because we need the translation assistance. Now, that being said, you would think that a lifetime of this family living there and that probably being the one doctor's office that somebody might have figured out, figured out something with, with ASL. Um, you know, I, I do, I do love when the music teacher tries to say something and they're all like what because <laughs> like, he does the wrong thing at least he's trying you know and i thought that was you know that I, I don't know why this town doesn't try more for this family that they are obviously interacting with constantly so i i was really upset with how they were like but no this is what we need it was just a constant them this is what we need this is what we need and not thinking about She's getting older and is needing to, I mean, even if you're not going to college, junior and senior year of high school is really busy with finals and stuff. There's a lot going on. Um, So I had a really hard time with him in the beginning. And especially with, with Jackie, with the Marley Mantling character, um, she seemed the most dismissive. So when we had that scene with her saying, I don't want her to leave. She's my baby. I'm like, since when do you give a rat's ass about this kid? Because we have that moment where she talks about she wants to be, she, she, you know, auditions for choir. Why? And it's like, uh, because choir is something I can do. Like, why not? Like, why does this surprise you? And the fact that she's the one that said things like a record player is a waste of money. And she's the one that makes her take the earphones out at dinner time. And then, you know, and the way she makes it so narcissistically about herself. If I were blind, would you want to be a painter? It's like, it, and, and she yells at her, it's not about you. And it seems like Jackie has a hard time with that. Even when it comes to maybe being more involved. And even when Frank is saying, you could do this, you could work with the other wives. She's like, 
well, the other wives don't like me. It's like, well, it's not about whether they like you or not. It's whether or not you can work with them for us to have a co-op and collectively make more freaking money. <laughs> There's something that you could do and maybe, you know, not every, you know, we don't, we're not best friends with everyone we work with, but we can figure out a way to work with them. And she's very, she seems very selfish. And again, bad boundaries, definitely bad boundaries. And because of Frank, when they have that moment, when they're, when they're in bed together and he's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. She's not a baby. You know, she's growing up, you know, Frank kind of gets on board a little bit more with the fact that Ruby's growing up and the fact that they can't keep her here forever. And if she wants to, and you know, when she says, I want to go to college, they're like, what? Like, you know, no, you're supposed to be here and do what we need you to do. And, you know, it, and I understand they can't hire someone. They couldn't afford to hire someone. And that makes perfect sense. And she, and Ruby understands that. And even when they have that moment with the Coast Guard, again, that inspector lady can suck it because she seriously couldn't tap anybody. In the, really, one tap on the shoulder and just, you know, radio. <laughs> or even could she pick up the radio and be like, hey, Coast Guard, it's me, the inspector. What do you need? You know, they had a hearing person on the boat and she just let them screw it up. And I that pissed me off. But even he was like, you were if you had told us you wouldn't be at work, well, this wouldn't have been a problem and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, this is not my fault. It is not my and it is not her fault that his business is not viable to the point where he can have someone on board that that's their job. You know, it's it's not her fault that he has become codependent on her and what she can do for him. And he figures that out. He he absolutely realizes that. And I think he figures it out a little faster. Um, And that, you know, because we have that moment where they come home from the concert and he's like, I'm going to get some air. And he tries to get her to tell him like is this what you really want what do you want to do you don't have to stay here let me hear you sing and he puts his hands on her throat he's trying he's trying to understand and even he tries a little bit more with music because he loves the hardcore rap music because he can hear the bass which makes perfect sense to me if he can hear the bass he can feel something and he can understand that feeling something through he can understand feeling something through music Whereas Jackie can't as much. And we have that moment with Jackie where Ruby tells her, Ruby asks her, do you ever wish I was deaf? And she said that she thought that she wouldn't be able to relate to her if, if Ruby was hearing and Jackie was deaf, the same way she didn't relate to her own mother. And so we get a little bit, bit of insight into Jackie with that but at the same time I don't I I think there's a what I took from that little tiny moment and I do love when there's something in a script I think it's very good writing to have something in a script that's like one sentence that makes your brain create its headcanon like oh this explains a lot I feel like Jackie probably had a very dismissive mother that this is a deaf child that I don't understand. I have to learn a new language for my own kid. This is a pain in the ass. And was probably dismissive of Jackie. And therefore, Jackie was probably dismissive 
of the hearing world because of growing up with hearing people being dismissive of her. So it, I sort of warmed up to Jackie at that moment because it seems like she comes by this insular dismissiveness, honestly, and that probably something, and, and you know, we all, <laughs> believe it or not, kids, Marley Matlin was a full on adult in the 1980s, <laughs> even though she does not look like it. <laughs> um, so she probably grew up in like the 60s, you know, 60s, 60s, 70s, even though, you know, she looks like she could be like a 42 year old mom in this movie. She's not. <laughs> She's been around for ages. You know, she, she won an Oscar in what, 86, 87, something like that as like a full on adult. So don't let Marley Matlin's beautiful skin fool you. So she grew up in an incredibly horrible time for anything being different. You know, you couldn't. You couldn't be a girl with short hair, let a girl, let alone a girl who couldn't hear. So, you know, I'm sure there there was a lot going on with her that made her retreat into her community and retreat into her interests and abilities. But that doesn't work for her kid. And y y they have that sweet moment where they obviously love each other. But... Uh, when parent this is this is the hard part about being a parent is that you've done your job when your child wants to leave you that creating a situation where you and your child are so dependent on each other that you that you can't leave each other that's an issue and i understand that i'm saying this as someone who lives next door to my mother but we do a lot of things separately we've done a lot of things separately i i've gone about my own way we just wound up here in my 40s <laughs> It was, we, we're not going to gray gardens each other or anything like that. But when your child doesn't need you anymore, that is when you've succeeded. So if you need your child so much that they feel like they need to be needed by you, that is a problem. And I feel like Jackie sticks with that for a really long time, because even during that conversation they have in Ruby's room, she's still saying, oh, I'm so glad you're staying and it's like, are you, are you glad she's staying because you don't have to hire a deckhand or are you glad she's staying because she's your baby and you'll miss her? And I honestly wasn't sure for a little bit with Jackie. And I love the, <laughs> I love when she says I was worried I'd be a bad mother because she was deaf and Ruby was hearing and Ruby's like, don't worry about that. You're a bad mother for completely different reasons. And she absolutely is a bad mother for different reasons. <laughs> um, you know, being dismissive and not having the boundaries. You know, this kid has to talk to her parents and deal with her parents' sex life way more than any kid should. And I'm sorry, I, I don't... I, if you have a friend over and you catch your parents having sex, they really shouldn't come downstairs in their bathrobes and tell you about condoms. Like, that's just kind of weird. Like, obviously... Ruby, obviously Ruby and Miles were not the ones having sex in this scenario. Somebody needs to be telling these parents about it. And Ruby has to, she has to say, I have company. You're not even supposed to be having sex right now. You both have crotch rot. What the hell is the matter with you? She has to like be parents to them and be, and make them take care of their own health. And they're asking too much of her in that situation. Any, anytime you ask anyone to, or you, you put someone in the position to ensure your health care is happening because you refuse to, 
that is a problem. And it's even a bigger problem if it's one of your children. Um, Leo's a little different. Leo's interesting because, first of all, like I said, I'm not 100% sure the relationship between he and Gertie is necessarily appropriate. <laughs> because I'm not 100% sure how old Leo is. <laughs> He's obviously drinking age. But, like, is he 21 or is he 25? Because he's obviously able to remember life without Ruby because he has that moment where he's angry with her for staying and being Saint Ruby and, you know, saving the family and saving the family business when he feels like he can he can do a lot of the things that she's doing. You know, he's the one that reads lips. He's the one that can, you know, he's gone out for beers with the guys, with the other fishermen he's a little more willing to try and network and make work friends with other, with other fishermen. And, you know, he's the one that's saying, let's start a co-op. Let's get other fishermen involved. We are, we are all relying on a system that is screwing all of us over. So he feels like this is something that he can do. And he's, he's an adult. He has made his choice to continue this family business. So it's his choice. And I can understand him feeling like he doesn't get the chance to be the older brother who is able to take over things because the parents constantly rely on Ruby for that, that they're constantly making her translate. You know, she's going to the doctor with them, not Leo to read the lips of the doctor. She's, she's going to, to talk and sign and she's talking to the other, um, the other guys who are paying them for fish and you know frank's kind of not letting him do that because frank's thinking oh they're hearing let's have a hearing person talk to them and so i can understand that he gets upset by that he is the older brother ruby's not the savior he can do some things i mean he's like you know he <laughs> you know i can do things i'm smart i mean he's not fredo but it's that kind of feeling to it like i am the older brother you know, why is my kid sister doing everything that I as a man should be able to do? And he's not trying to, and I, and I love the way he's written so well that he's not like wishing he was hearing, you know, it's not, there's not that black and white. There's like, there's not the insular, we are the non-hearing family and we stick with each other. And then the son that is like, oh, I wish I could hear it's, you know, it's, it's definitely not a sound of metal thing like he doesn't need to learn to be deaf <laughs> he understands and he knows that there are things he can do and there are things other people can do and that other people are willing to do when you start working with them that he can he can grow their business he has really good ideas and his father is kind of dismissive of him as well and in favor of the help that he has become so reliant on ruby for that he becomes resentful. You know, do I think he's taking it out on the wrong people? Absolutely. I think everybody's taking everything out on the wrong people in this story a lot of the time. They eventually figure it out. And they have a... They are, they are a dysfunctional family in the fact that they're too codependent and don't have enough boundaries with each other. But they're not, code, they're not a dysfunctional family that's mean to each other. They, they do very much love each other and they do very much support each other. You know, the whole family goes to her choir concert. All three of them, they can't hear, but they're all there. And, you know, we see that he's there with Gertie and he has a relationship and he's going to start having a relationship 
with a hearing person, which is very different than what his parents were. He is willing to be a non-hearing person that can be partners with a hearing person in more ways than one, not just with Gertie, but also with this co-op that they're starting. He's more willing to, to, to branch out of his own bubble than his parents are. And, you know, the parents are resistant to all of it because I think they are understandably worried and afraid and set in their ways. You know, we, you know, culturally speaking, able-bodied people are ableist <laughs> and it's terrible. It's not how things should be, but I get, you know, they're, they've probably, you know, lived their whole lives putting up with this crap and now they're just used to it and they're just trying to avoid the crap. They're trying to avoid situations where they'll be in the crap. Whereas Leo is like, I'll deal with the crap if it means that I can maybe grow something for myself, either relationship-wise, romantically, or relationship-wise, business-wise. Business so by the end of this story, I really did like everybody, and I really did like this family, and I really did appreciate this family. But but when it started, I was like, oh, these are so dismissive parents. These are dismissive parents with no boundaries. Made me, it made me crazy. But again, that's good writing. Where, where if a, a character can get to you, good or bad, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing from a writing standpoint. Well, then I guess uh, kudos once again to, to, to Shan Hader for doing a great job also writing this this movie for sure. And Rachel, what did you make of these three? Uh, what order should I do this in? Um, <laughs> oh, let's go from best to worst. Uh <laughs> uh yeah her brother is definitely seems like he's got the most like level head on his shoulders um you know he's seemingly made sort of uh you know kind of relationship with some of the other fishermen um you know so when he goes to the bar with him you know, they don't think it's unusual. Um, you know, it's the the people that don't know him that uh you know cause the <laughs> cause the bar fight. Um don't get into bar fights, kids. Uh, you're not proving anything. Uh <laughs> um the uh yeah, I mean her 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 brother, you know, he's the one that, that talks some sense into her and is all like, you know, you're going to, you know, kind of, you know, you'll regret it. Yeah, very Casablanca. You may not regret it today, but, you know, someday you, you might. Um, you know, convincing her that she needs to, you know, get out there and do something Uh with her life you know she's found something she's passionate about dag nabbit go out there and and pursue it you know he's perfectly happy working the fishing boat he enjoys it yeah good keeps him in shape gets you know gets attention from the ladies i'm sure that does not hurt any um and you know he realizes that just because you know well like when they're in the um in the the like town hall type meeting and you know when her father finally goes off he's like you know my father fished and his father before him was a fisherman it's like 
it's it's definitely one of those just because this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean that's the way it's got to continue and um thankfully both her brother and her father excuse me figure that out and they're able to pivot and um that shows you know that shows that they're capable of you know thinking outside of the box and willing to stretch themselves a little out of their comfort zone on the hunch that they could be doing something bigger and better than what they're doing instead of just settling for the status quo which is being uh you know being under paid while these these fat cats and enjoy raking in all the money off of their hard work you know these guys that are like you know 275 and it's like do you even know how to fish like if i put you on that boat right now would you even have the foggiest idea what to do probably not so um you know there's there's uh you know her and her 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 brother and her father you know show some growth a lot sooner than her mother does um her father cracked me up so many times <laughs> there's a reason he won that acting award <laughs> he's so funny um you know as as embarrassing as the scene is the entire you know his his descriptions of the of the of the jockage at the doctor's office i just i was busting a gut um his descriptions were, just, were, were, were one wonderful and hilarious. He should yeah. not have been saying them in front of his kids. <laughs> Ew, no, I don't, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, he tries to e extend, you know, uh, an, an olive branch to to Ruby, um, after her her choir performance and um you know i just i i i found him much of the, the the two parental units i definitely found him the more uh sympathetic and endearing of the two her mother i wanted to bitch slap uh she's talking about the bitches the bitch wives sorry she is a bitchy wife um again it's kind of you know it's it shows how good of an actress marlene is but at the same time, it's like, oh, you're such a treasure. I don't want to bitch slap you, but I don't want to bitch slap you. Um, because her mom is just, she's so, because all we get is kind of that that quick comment of, you know, I didn't connect with my mother. I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to connect with you. Is that we kind of have to make some assumptions that maybe her mother was hearing and therefore struggled having a deaf child um or you know was her mother deaf and they just because they could not actually speak to each other you know you don't get things like necessarily tone that we can infer from hearing somebody speak you know obviously you know deaf people can make the facial expressions but still you know you're only going to get so much across um is but obviously there is some sort of like 
generational trauma or something that is being passed down from her, you know, Ruby's grandmother to her mother, and now her mother is passing it along to her daughter, you know, willing or unwillingly or consciously or not. And that is really, it takes a lot of introspection and a lot of hard, hard work to recognize something like that and try and do something to nip it in the bud. Because again, just because that's the way it's been doesn't mean that's that's the way it's got to continue. The mothers, you know, annoying their, you know, annoying their daughters, daughters annoying their mothers. Um, and yeah, her mother's coming. Her mother's obviously coming from a place of fear, fear of letting her daughter go out into the world. That you know, as far as the rest of the family is concerned a world that does not want them and doesn't want anything you know doesn't want to interact with them doesn't want to support them and you know fear her daughter will fail i mean it's it's so cliche really you know some of the things that you know the her the actions her mother takes it's like you know this is my child i have to protect him from things like failure i'm so sorry but uh that's life yeah, life is going to have failure in it. That's how you grow as an individual is you learn resilience by having hardships. You know, the treating her daughter like an adult and at the same time being like, that's me. Yeah, no, sorry. It, it does does not work both ways. Um, you know, you don't have children to have children. They don't stay babies for very long. If you think of having a child and all you think about is the cute baby phase, you need to rethink your decision because you, you want something small and cute to take pictures of and dress up. Get a puppy and get a breed that stays small and cute. Get a Yorkie. Yeah. <laughs> if you're wanting something small and cute and cuddly that's going to love you unconditionally, get yourself a Yorkie. Uh because everything else is going to grow out of the baby slash puppy phase and turn into an adult and have and be their own person. You're, they're not a mini you. I'm sorry. You know, this is not Dr. Evil with his mini me. Um, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> Ant's doing the, the biggie. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, parents frustrate me in general. Not just my own, but just parents in general. There's a reason I'm not one. Uh, <laughs> um, there's lots of reasons I'm not one. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. And, you know, go ahead, Rachel. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, her mother frustrated me so much. And like when she's having the argument with 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 uh, you know with the the dad, and you know she's all like, you know, it's not college; it's music school. It's still secondary education. It's like it's still going out and learning something beyond just the high school level and having experiences behind the high school level. And then she's like, what if she's not good? Do you think that the music teacher would be spending all this time giving her lessons if she wasn't good? Why? Yeah. I'm pretty sure if she was not good, she would have been told, sorry, choir is not for you. Go maybe try, you know, film club. Like our friend said, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> it's like she would not be going through all of this if she was not good. She would not have the teacher in her corner if she was not good. So her mom's just being really obtuse and stubborn on purpose. I think she's really just grasping at any reason she can keep her daughter in her pocket like a Swiss Army knife. She's like, this is this tool that I need with me on me all times. And it's like, yeah, no wonder the, the other women don't like you. I don't like you. <laughs> but, you know, and it's interesting that what you were bringing up about, uh, you know, so much of the family dynamics and the generational trauma very, is very much foreshadowing, I think, of the movie we'll be discussing after this one when it comes to, mm -hmm. to the relationships and, uh, and that mother's kind of frustrating daughters. Mm. and vice versa <laughs> e exactly exactly so I'm like, mm, yeah i could definitely see you what does this remind me of oh yes uh possibly mm, our next movie gee, i wonder exactly our next movie as well um my googly eyes are ready <laughs> me, me too definitely looking forward to that one i will say you know when it comes to the, the, the these three though his hygiene may be a little bit questionable and having trouble keeping his hormones under control when it comes to his wife though I can't blame him. I mean, Marley Matlin is a, is a beautiful woman, but still, you can kind of keep it together, Frank. I think Frank very much tells it like it is, obviously. He doesn't sugarcoat anything, be it junk trouble, farting at the table, or telling Ruby and Miles to use protection when they have sex. And as embarrassing as this can be for any child, and I did find myself, like you, Rachel, chuckling and face palming a lot when it came to Frank. But Troy Kotsal definitely brings out a fabulous performance in this film. He does his best, I think, to be a good husband and father to his children. And though at first maybe he expects Ruby to stick around and help them with the family business of fishing, as the film progresses, he understands her wants and needs. And I love how at her recital, Oh, after a recital, he asks Ruby to sing for him while Zan mentioned he places his hand on her throat so as to get closer to her. And you can tell what an overwhelming experience it is for him. And that made me tear up. And, you know, when it comes to Jackie, for a large part of the film, I will agree she does come across as a little bit selfish when it comes to Ruby. I dismissing her wanting to be a singer because it's not something she is able to appreciate and is more like my daughter should do something that I can get as well. And this may also be because as she cannot hear it for herself, and as she says, says to Frank, she's concerned that though she loves music, Ruby may not be a great singer or have what it takes to get into a, such a prestigious musical academy like Berkeley. I mean, we also notice that both Jackie and Frank do tend to keep themselves to themselves or restrict their acquaintances to other members of the deaf community. And thanks to Ruby, they do expand their circle of friends. Uh, when it comes to Leo, there is a lot going on with him as well, as I think he wants to be one of the boys and does his best to fit in. Like you guys mentioned, going with the rest of the fishermen for a drink at the bar. And hey, he does end up hooking up with Gertie as well. At the same time, I think he does feel undervalued by his dad when it comes to family business. And he says as much to Ruby, where he feels like she is the golden child and nobody really cares about what he thinks and wants. And I will say he was a little harsh to her, but I can see where his frustration is coming from because of the fact that he feels so, so overlooked by his parents. I mean, I think maybe, as I said, he does maybe take it out on her a little bit too much because I don't think it's Ruby's fault. But, I, but obviously he doesn't have anybody else to vent to, if you will. So 
That's why he says what he says. And I think he's the most level. I agree with you, Rachel. I think he's the most level-headed of the three. And yes, uh, though um, Frank and Jackie are definitely not, I guess, the poster, children, poster kids for parenting. Uh, I will definitely say that obviously Marley Matlin and Troy Cotswell did a fabulous job uh, with these, you know, playing these characters. So let's round off our characters with two other important people who play uh, quite the role in Ruby's life. We have Eugenio Derbez as Bernardo Villalobos, a.k.a. Mr. V, and Ferdia Walsh-Pilo as Miles. So, Rachel, starting with you, your thoughts on Mr. V and Miles. Um, Mr. V is uh, an interesting, an interesting uh, music teacher because, uh, you know, the, he, he's obviously very passionate about his what he does as a as a teacher which is great you know especially in the arts because the arts get passed over so much in schools especially now you know when they go to the you hear about it all the time budget when budget cuts happen in in education uh, you know k through 12 education the arts are, tend to be what get cut first which is you know, yeah, not everybody is like musically inclined or, you know, is a good actor, you know, for things like drama club or whatever. But, you know, it's been proven time and time again that being, you know, even just listening to music and appreciating it does something to the human brain that it helps it apply to other things like math and science. Um, so to see a teacher that's so passionate uh, with these students and, you know, the fact that every, well, at least, you know, we didn't see every single audition, but pretty much every student that auditioned has a decent singing voice. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, like the ones that think they sound good because they hear themselves in the shower just or you know, figured it out. And we're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I'll just continue to sing in the shower. Because I'm definitely one of those. I'm a car and shower singer. I know that like my vocal range is like two notes. Get beyond that and I'm out of tune. I get that. I understand that. You're not going to see me audition for American Idol anytime soon. So, um, but, uh, you know, his, uh, j just seeing how, uh, you know, into it and how hands-on uh, he is with these students, you know, making sure that they're, you know, in the right section, you know, for their their vocal range, you know, the taking the the you know the what little instruments they use, mostly for rhythm, you know, go from one student to another, you know, teaching them breathing techniques and this that sort of thing, you know, that's um, it's very heartwarming to to see uh someone that passionate about it um it's a you know it's kind of a, a shame that ruby didn't feel like she could open up to him until it was almost too late where he was almost ready to you know kick her to the curb um and you know i under i understand you know him taking his probably unpaid time to essentially you know tutor her to help her prep for this uh, you know this this college edition 
um you know odds are that those lessons that he's giving her at his home he's not getting paid for by the school that's something he's doing on his own time and own time you know and he's got a wife and kid at home that he could be spending time with instead um so uh yeah i understand feeling like your your time is being wasted by a student that doesn't seem to be you know giving their their 100 percent to to it but at the same time you don't know what's going you don't know what's going on in, in someone's life especially a student you know you're talking about teenagers it's hard to get them open up about anything and the harder it seems like the harder harder they're having it the more they are to clam up so you know instead of getting pissed off at her he could have approached her with a little bit of compassion and be like you know what is going on you know you know is it is it school you're struggling in your other classes or you know is it home you know that's that sort of thing um but instead you know he's he's given her you know anger which is really the last thing that she needs um but you know just one of those because you know because of the plot she eventually opens up and you know he finally understands it you know it's like she's got you know she's got a lot of stuff going on up in the noggin there that's that's grabbing you know taking her attention away um but uh you know we at least see that once he you know realizes the extent of it that he is he's willing to step up and you know he's like you know she can't give the 110 percent as much as she would like to so it's like okay i'm gonna help i'm gonna help with that um you know and that's showing up to her audition and then on purpose flubbing the piano because you know he's not gonna mess that up <laughs> he could play that in his sleep with his nose probably with his hands tied behind his back uh so you know he messed that up on purpose just to buy her some time very it's very save the last dance uh you know <laughs> um if y'all haven't seen that movie you should julia styles um and uh you know trying to learn so yeah so, so at least a, a basic phrase even if he does screw it up but yeah her dad thankfully is like yeah <laughs> like i understand what you were trying to say here i'm gonna be crass and return and hey look we're buddies now um so yeah that that redeems mr v uh yeah um and the fact that she got in yay uh and then um yeah miles i almost wonder if miles didn't screw up his audition on purpose because he talked about how much pressure he was under by his by his parents uh about how this was expected of him because he comes from a musical family but they're very particular about the type of music and how his dad doesn't think of the guitar is a real stringed instrument like it's got strings dude <laughs> Pretty sure that makes it a stringed instrument just because you don't use a bow like a violin or a cello, you know. Still got strings. Uh it's like, why do you want to take up a harp? Um, so yeah, I almost I almost wonder if Miles did not blow his audition on purpose 
so that he could be like, oh, well, sorry, I didn't get into Berkeley. Guess I'm going to have to stay here uh, <laughs> and find something else to do. Oh, darn. Of course, that means my girlfriend might go off and, what do you say, you know, hook up with a cello player or wears a fedora. Uh, <laughs> real string instrument. <laughs> real string instrument, yeah. Whatever. Um, no, if you're going to wear a fedora, you play upright bass in a jazz dra jazz tree or a quartet. Um, if you're wearing a fedora, not the cello. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's just, it's, it's a high school romance. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, because especially because he didn't get to the same school, so it's not like they're going off together and they'll, you know, they're able to see each other in between classes and continue to date. You know, it's like, it was just a high school thing. I don't expect it to become, a you know, anything long-term serious, although with small town USA, that tends to be the narrative. But, um, you know, I think it was just a couple of high schoolers that were, you know, looking at the end of their high school career and wanted to kiss and jump into water together and <laughs> um what his eddie, eddie Izzard says you know <laughs> little swimmy swimmy little chasey chasey and the little underwater sexy sexy yeah that's all it is <laughs> i love eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> he, puts, do. he puts it so well so uh, so so poignantly and you know you make a good point there rachel i guess about you know being small town because i just looked it up now out of interest gloucester massachusetts population thirty thousand people so it is it is a pretty tiny town when it comes to you know if you look at american cities in general but uh but yes yeah, so it's a roughly you know, the census recently was yeah 29,729 people so you're looking at thirty thousand people living in gloucester massachusetts as we speak um, and Zan, what did you make of Mr. V and Miles? Is any adult in this movie going to be appropriate with the kids? Like, I understand doing popular music in choir, but who the hell does let's get it on in a high school choir? Like, how does he not get fired for that? That's just, I don't know. It just, that's just, I'm like, what is up with everybody in this story? Um, yeah, I felt like as a teacher, he reminded me of, <laughs> um, Llewellyn Sinclair from the Simpsons. If you remember the episode of the Simpsons with Marge doing the musical version of Streetcar Named Desire for community theater and the director comes in, he's played by, by John Lovitz and he's like, <laughs> He's like, hello, this is me. This is what I do. <laughs> you either have talent or not, and you are all terrible. You know, he, he he had that kind of cartoony feel to me a little bit. And like like you were saying, Rachel, there, ha there really should have been a little bit more communication with a teacher and a student when it comes to, okay, you're constantly late but you're obviously passionate about this. You obviously want to do this. You obviously are trying what's going on. It's not like she's there 
not singing. And even when he says, why didn't you work on this? She's like, we did, but just not together because they didn't have the opportunity. You know, he needs to be asking questions like, why are you late? What's the problem? You know, as an educator, I feel like he should he should be doing that. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you, you want you want to think that maybe at this point in her life, she can say, you know, hey, I don't think I can make it until this time because of my family's business. But again, her family's springing things on her, expecting her to not have anything to do but them. You know, with the, you know, you need to be here for this, for this interview. And it's like, you could have told me I had an interview or, you know, or she needs to be, you know, texting this teacher saying, my family's going to be on the news. They need an interpreter. Can we maybe do this tomorrow? I mean, there, there needed to be a little more communication there. And I feel like because he was the educator, the, the, the burden of that was on him because he's the adult. I mean, we keep forgetting that Ruby's a kid. I think everybody keeps forgetting that Ruby's a kid in this. Um, but at the same time, I love that he sees something in her and he understands that she might be talented, but that doesn't mean she has money. And that doesn't mean she has resources to be able to get to college. And he's like, I can get you a scholarship. I can do this for you. And like Rachel said, he did sort of flub up a little bit just to make sure she was doing what she needed to be doing. You know, again, as an educator, he took that responsibility on himself by saying, oh, sorry, can can we please start over? Don't blame my student because I screwed up on the piano. Ha ha ha. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm sure that that's an old trick at this point with music auditions. But still, um, you know, he obviously believes in her and he obviously believes in what she seems to want to do. He's definitely not saying like like miles's family is saying like oh you have talent you have to use this because i think you should use this talent you know whether or not you can sing and whether or not you want to sing can be two very different things and it's great when they match up but they don't always and the fact that he sees you know when he's talking about that you know people who are constantly trying to sing with nothing to say you have something to say he really can see something in, in her. And he really is one of the first people that has ever really particularly paid attention to her as something other than the girl from the deaf family, which I think is wonderful because she deserves that. She deserves to be her own person. As much of a close-knit family as they are and as much of a family business, it is difficult to be, you know, even it would even be difficult for her to be, oh, your dad runs the fishing co-op. N yeah, I, I, and I'm also Ruby. <laughs> you also have to allow people to be their own person, allow kids to be their own person. And I think he is trying to do that. But I think from a script writing perspective, I think they made him a little too, like I said, Llewellyn Sinclair. He's just very, you know, <laughs> do not waste my time. And there was something a little tropey about that, that whole, you know, you know, I only spend time on things that don't waste my time. So don't waste my time. And it's, and it's like, I'm not wasting your time. I'm getting up at three in the friggin' morning. And I'm sure you understand that because you have a new baby. So come on, let's, let's work with each other here. Um, but I, I, I loved that there was someone that believed in her that could help her for once, because it seemed like she was helping other people so much that finally someone could help her. And I think that was wonderful. And it wasn't a transactional thing. It wasn't, 
hey, let's help each other for this co-op or um, I'll do this for you because you do this for me. He's doing it because he believes in his student. And that's what's making him a good educator, even if he is having kids sing Let's Get It On in high school choir, which just is very, very strange, in my opinion. Um, and Miles, Miles is interesting because Miles is a character that we, 50 years ago, these roles would have been reversed. Miles is very much there for the advancement of Ruby and the way we've often seen women characters being there specifically for the advancement of the man care, the, the male characters. And Miles is kind of there to get her, her own thing and to encourage her on a different level. And for her to, as, as much as he pissed me off by telling other kids what happened at the house, because ew, um, take that shit to your grave. Um, <laughs> as much as he upset me with that, the fact that he very much wanted to make it up to her, he realized he'd made a mistake. He'd realized that what was gross about that situation was not the fact that her parents are deaf. It's the fact that her parents were having sex in the house and everybody could hear it. Um, he figured out what he did wrong. He figured out that Ruby meant more to him than being an entertaining oddity, which I think probably a lot of people saw her as, or they made fun of her, which again is ridiculous. Why the hell? I never used to, there was a kid that I went to school with who made fun of me because of the car my mother drove. Like I have any control over that. And even as a kid, I was like, I'm like, yeah, your dad has an Alfa Romeo, but um, you're 13. Are you driving it? Like, what? how does that have any bearing on who you are as a person? The same way what my mom drove had any bearing on what I what I did as a person. I never quite understood that whole, like, oh, ha, 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 your parents are deaf. You're funny. You're weird. It's like, um, go F yourself, first of all. Second of all, like, Ruby has any control over that. Like, that's somehow a failing on Ruby that somebody gave birth to her. You know, it, it, it's just, I don't understand kids. Um, kids are so desperate to be unique and be better than someone that they're just morons. They're just absolute idiots. You know, which is what makes Ruby so fantastic is Ruby is so on to everybody, even though it hurts her. It obviously hurts her. She's so on to everybody. And Miles, he doesn't really play into that. He just doesn't, it just takes him a little more time to figure out that that's that, that what he's buying into with these other kids is kind of bullshit. And when he does realize it, he realizes it hard. And they very much have a romance on Ruby's terms. He's never coercing her into doing anything or making her go someplace or do something. It, it's not, you know, it's not like Pretty in Pink where he's making her go to her party, to his, his friend's parties and they all make fun of her, that kind of thing. Um, they're going to her swimming hole and they're going to her parents' house. And <laughs> he's very much on her level because, and he even says that she is so cool and interesting and so talented. And that's so different than what he has. And he talks about how lucky she is to have a family that loves each other, you know, even though they are incredibly codependent dis, you know dysfunctional because they're codependent they're dysfunctional because they're codependent and they are all up in each other's shit 
not because they don't love each other, not because they resent each other, not because there's, you know, an obvious, obvious favorite and there's a, you know, a golden child and a, and a spare child and the parents are terrible or the parents are like with Miles's family vicariously living through Miles and he's not living up to it. And he can see the the beauty of her family and he can see that you know she's lucky to be so loved and care about cared about and needed because he feels like if he's not playing the right string instrument and he's not doing what his family thinks he should be doing that they have no use for him and you know even though you know they kind of need her on a different level you know of of assistance as well as needing her as their baby they absolutely love each other and they, you know, and they will, you know, go to bat for each other. Absolutely. And he's never seen anything like that. He's never experienced that. And he can appreciate that in her family, you know, once he sees them beyond them being the weird deaf family, which seems so, again, seems so strange. If his father was a fisherman and the father before that, he's obviously been in that town for a while. Like nobody's used to the deaf family at this point. <laughs> so... <laughs> ableist people are just garbage anyway um so yeah miles i think really definitely redeems himself but in a way that again it's not a love story i'm necessarily rooting for it's a friendship that i'm rooting for i definitely feel like she deserves a friendship but i almost feel like miles was too many things wrapped up into one she had the one friend that was sort of part of how the just sort of understood how the family worked and had been there forever and couldn't as much see it from the outside as Miles could. And we also have her coming of age to where she would have a romantic a romantic interest and getting a boyfriend. So I think that got all rolled up into Miles, even though I don't necessarily root for their love story. Like I said, we, you know, like you said, when they're in college, it's like, you know, we, you know, will you come visit me? It's like, you know, you'll run up with a cello player. It's like, yeah, they'll probably stay in contact with each other, but are they going to try a long distance relationship? Maybe not. Because, and I'm okay with that, because I, I I am more interested in the support they give each other as friends than I am in the couple of times they kissed in this story. Um, and I hope that continues. And I hope Miles is able to find a bravery inside of him the same way Ruby was able to find a bravery inside of her to tell his parents, I want to do something else. And we don't get enough of Miles to know what that other thing is. He's pretty good at singing. He's pretty good at the guitar. Is he passionate about it? Obviously not. He tells us he's not. He tells us he's doing it because it's expected of him. And it's expected of him to be good at it. And so that's why he's as good at it as he is. But we also never see Miles carrying around, you know, a, a, a digital digital camcorder. Or we don't see Miles writing poetry. Or we don't see Miles trying to get a play produced. Or we don't see Miles fishing. You know, even, you know, we don't see anything from of what Miles wants to do, because I think Miles has lived a life that something is expected of him. And he's just doing that in a way that is going through the motions and doesn't really have emotion behind it. Whereas Ruby has lived a life where something is expected of her, but she's doing it because she loves the people that expect it of her and it helps them in some way. Whereas it doesn't necessarily help Miles' parents if he plays the, the, the guitar or not. 
So, you know, I hope for good things for Miles. Again, even if I'm not even if I'm not rooting for for their romantic relationship, I am rooting for their their friendship, their companionship, their support of each other and being able to see what the other one has when they can't see it themselves. I think they needed that in each other. And I was happy that Ruby had someone that was her age to tell her these things because I remember being a kid and I remember being told things by adults and thinking you don't understand you or like you don't remember being a kid you don't understand you know every you know whatever anybody says to you you, you never think as a kid you never quite realize that everything you're going through millions of people have gone through a million times over the last you know you know 300 years kind of a thing um but when another kid is able to see something about you that you can't see it brings it more to your level and another kid can have that seriousness you know teenagers are so incredibly serious they feel things so strongly and so deeply and to have someone who wants to feel something as much as Ruby does, but is is just doing something because they don't know what to feel. They just know what they've been ex what's been expected of them. I think helps her tremendously because knowing that everybody's parents expect something of them that they don't necessarily want helps her. And also knowing that sometimes you can be expected to do something that you're happy to do for someone, and then sometimes you can be expected to do something that you are just numb to. And I think that's very, very helpful for her. So um, I hope Miles figures out what he wants to do. And um, I uh, I hope um, Bernardo, if you can't roll the R's, don't say his name, um, picks less pervy songs for next year's choir concert. I agree. I very much agree. I mean, look, I here's the thing. Uh, I agree with Falcon, a.k.a. the new Captain America, that Trouble Man is one of the best albums ever to be released. And it is a quintessential album when it comes to the history of music, when it comes to Marvin Gaye. But yeah, if you want to do something from Marvin Gaye, if you want to do something kind of like Let's Get On, you could always have done Ed Sheeran. And, you know, the chord progression is the same. You could have just done uh, Thinking Out Loud. And that might have been more um, appropriate if you like that chord progression. And I won't get into the whole story. of. You could have done what's going on. Exactly. You know, something, so something that is politically relevant, no matter what era, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, or well, there are a million Marvin Gaye songs that you could have chosen, which don't have all that innuendo. I mean, there's time and place list for, for Let's Get It On when it comes to, to that. But yeah, Marvin Gaye has come up with so many great songs. Could have done another one if you really want to do Marvin Gaye. Um, but I agree. I mean, it was definitely inappropriate. But that said, I absolutely loved Mr. V. And, you know, to your point, Zan, we have seen a character like this in many a movie, i.e. the mentor to our character is coming of age. And that is very much his role in this movie. For some reason, I almost equated him in part to John Keating, who was a character played by Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society, as he's incredibly passionate and lives for his subject. In this case, of course, choir and music. And, you know, even as Rachel mentioned, clearly sees the huge potential that Ruby has to go the musical distance. And he wishes to do everything in his power for her to get there. I think he also sees himself in Ruby to a certain degree. 
as though he's clearly talented and could have gone beyond teaching choir at a high school level. And nothing wrong with that, mind you, if that's what you want to do. But he elected to stick with what he is good at and therefore wants the same for Ruby. And I think there are instances of tough love, of course, when it comes to these two. And I love the energy and joy that Eugenio brought to this character. And every time he was on screen, he always brought a smile to my face. I'm like, I kind of wish I, I kind of had a mentor like that in my life because it's, uh, he, you know, as, as, as tough as he can be and as, as Llewellyn-ish as, as he can be. It's kind of, I think it's kind of mental that, you know, if you want to, to master a craft, you might want to have in your corner because they believe in you and they're prepared to do what they want to, what, the, what they have to, to get you to the next level, but will also not be afraid, you know, to get a little bit, you know, stroppy with you when, 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 it, when it's uh, needed, even though, of course, he doesn't know what is going on, like you guys mentioned with Ruby, when they're not uh, having lessons together. So, yeah, he could maybe have been a little bit more understanding, but other than that, he's so supportive. And I love also the chemistry then between him and Frank. That, that, that was hilarious. I love that. When it comes to Miles, I, I, I think you guys said, said put up, brought up some great points because I think with Miles, he is kind of, yeah, he's definitely seeing in Ruby and bringing out things in Ruby that she may, might not realize herself. And I think definitely validates her. And, and I think we all kind of need somebody like that. And that's why I think he would have made a better friend, to your point, Zan, than a boyfriend, because of just the way he interacts with her and the way he's also very supportive of her. And you know, takes the time, I guess, to kind of get to know her and, of course, the family. Granted, yes, the whole thing about talking about, oh, her parents were having sex and letting the whole, the whole school know. Not a, not, not a great move there, dude. Not a smart move. But then, yes, he does definitely get his redemption. And I also agree with Rachel. I think he might have flubbed his own um, audition when it came to that situation. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just like... Either it was a slight to his family because he just did not was not a fan of his family. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Philip Carlyle from The Greatest Showman and the relationship that Philip had with his parents, where everything had to be just so. And that's not what Miles wants. So maybe he wants to be more rebellious in that sense and do something else completely. And heck, well, maybe someday we'll see him, you know, kind of being, I don't know, a rock guitarist or something. And, you know, kind of... You know, sporting the bird when it comes to his family. It's like, my parents didn't want me to do rock and roll. I say F you or something. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I think he is definitely a better friend than boyfriend. And uh, I actually, I, I wasn't rooting for the romance. Like I would have been happy had it been just a platonic friendship as in, you know, a guy and a gal can be friends. There doesn't have to be anything sexual or emotional involved. They can just be friends. But here I guess like, okay, High school, uh, you know, love story and what have you. And I doubt that they will last. I agree with Rachel. I think they might just stay good friends. Like, oh, yeah, I dated that guy when we were in high school. Now we're just great friends. He's doing his thing and I'm doing mine. But uh, but yeah, other than that, I aside from that kind of dick move, if you will, I, I think uh, I think Mars was, was supportive. So let's get to how our movie ended. Of course, uh, Ruby is accepted to Berkeley. Yay. Her family and Mr. V are delighted with the news, as we all are, of course. And she invites Miles to visit her in Boston, like we mentioned. And meanwhile, the hearing workers in the family's fishing business have been learning sign language, enabling them thus to communicate with and interpret for the family. Ruby's friend Gertie drives her to Boston for college as her family sees them off. And then we get, of course, that, uh, that great shot of Ruby signing, which, of course, I, from what they translate is, I love you so much. 
It, the, the transitions, I really love you, to them as they drive away. And that still is actually, I love that still of, of Ruby do, signing that way. So, Zan, what did you make of our ending? I liked this ending. I liked that Ruby had her own ending. She didn't stay for anyone. She didn't change for anyone. She got accepted. She went. She did her thing. And I love that as a family, they went with her to drop to drop her off. And it wasn't a resentful, well, then fine, leave us. What, 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 what. But at the same time, as much as I was happy that Ruby got her own ending, I was happy that the family was branching out, that they were it looks like they are going to succeed with this fishing co-op, which is fantastic. You know, I would, I would, I would love to have a, a, a family-owned fishing co-op show up at my farmer's market every, you know, every every Saturday or something like that. Um, you know, depending on the fish they caught, of course. But um, you know, yeah, that would be fantastic. So you know, the the family is learning to branch out as well that they are allowing other people into their lives. They are allowing other people to, to be a part of their business venture, to be a part and to, to help them. I mean, these, this is obviously a group of people that is willing to compromise with them. Like, like we'll try to learn sign language. We know you're trying to read lips. We'll try to learn sign language. We'll meet in the middle. And that's how things should be. You know, we, we should not as a culture culture be so ableist. Um, I, you know, I, I'm saying this, I should freaking take uh, ASL lessons. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not because when <laughs> at the same time I should be. And if I lived in a small town and wanted to be part of a co-op with a, with a non-hearing family, I would absolutely make that a priority. And the idea that they can break this generational trauma and, the hearing community and the non-hearing community can interact with each other and that one is not necessarily losing by by making that by offering that olive branch necessarily that you can be a non-hearing you can be non-hearing parents that send their hearing child to music school and it isn't about you and to learn that it isn't about you and to learn that you can support your child even if they do something that you so can't even understand <laughs> you know it's not even it's not even anything you ever even think about you know there, there's you know we go from a mom who is like you know a record player is a waste of money to dropping her her daughter off at, at music school this family has very much grown and very much branched out and <clears throat> i think it's wonderfully positive that in a way that is not schmaltzy and in a way that completely centers Ruby, our main character, who is finally going to have a life where what she does for other people will be her choice. You know, what she does for her life and what she does for other people's lives will be completely her choice, which everyone should have that opportunity. And we could, we could only, we can only hope for sure. And everybody definitely deserves that opportunity. And Rachel, what did you make of our ending? I mean, in a way, the ending is the coda. I mean, that's what it is as a musical term, is that the ending is something. <laughs> the ending. Um, it's because this, this movie encompasses such a, a small slice of, of a time period for, for these people. Um, it's 
it makes sense that it ended where it did. Um, you know, did we need as many montages that are in this movie? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there was maybe one too many montages. Uh, so, um, yeah, not that I didn't enjoy hearing the singing. Um, yeah, I'm sure uh, I'm going to guess that Zayn had some sort of visceral reaction realizing that the, the the Joni Mitchell song she's singing is the one that Emma Thompson's crying to in love actually. Um no, I, I not no not that one because um at this point at this point both sides now is burned yeah. in my brain in association with the credits of hereditary. So oh, God. and with how much I hate Alan Rickman in Love Actually, that's actually better, believe it or not. No oh, okay. I'd rather I'd rather think about a beheading and Gabriel Byrne being set on fire than <laughs> his bullshittery in Love Actually. So no, it's a hereditary association for me. Okay. Then. <laughs> um, but um, uh, you know, it's it's nice to see that uh, you know, by willing to stretch yourself a little maybe do things that are a little scary that you might find out that everything stuff might actually work out. It might be okay. Um, you know, the people in their co-op, uh, you know, her mother not wanting to work with the bitchy otherwise in the co-op. What do you think a co-op is? It's working with other people. <laughs> Cooperation. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and it doesn't mean that like everybody suddenly needs to be completely fluid in sign language. Yeah, for the people that they only like encounter at the docks, there's probably maybe a couple handfuls of signs that they would need to learn to be able to communicate. Um, you know, you you can become conversationally uh fluent without being fluent. Yeah, where you're prepared to speak in any any situation. Um, so being able to, you know, even do basic, basic things, being able to sign numbers and, like, measurements, you know, so many pounds, so many dollars, so many cents, you know, would be, you know, easy, I think, for a lot of people. Um, you know, that's where most people start to learn languages anyway, is... You know, with your the stuff that builds up to words and sentences. Um so you know, it's it's a very positive ending. Um without it yeah being too schmaltzy because it's not like, oh, suddenly their co-op is just like become so successful that the greedy guys went under and had to leave town or something. That would have been a bit too much. But just the fact that they're figuring out ways to be able to communicate with the the hearing, you know, the people who can hear in the town and vice versa. And, you know, their daughter's going to go off to, um, you know, to, to to make a life of her own and discover who she is as a person. It's it's perfectly reasonable that this ended the, the, the way it did. Yeah, definitely way less schmaltz than It's a Wonderful Life. 
and we know how you feel about that movie. <laughs> Black Christmas time is over. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I agree. I think it was a very well-balanced ending. And yes, and that still, of course, of Ruby signing I, I Love You So Much, of course, uh, has become uh, kind of ubiquitous with this movie. I mean, everybody kind of associates that particular still with this film. And no surprise, I, I used it myself on our social media when, we, when uh, we mentioned we were going to be reviewing this one. It's a beautiful moment, I think. And uh, yeah, I think everybody's kind of grown by the end of this. And it's a beautiful thing because Ruby is at this point leaving the nest to pursue her dream. And, you know, she's leaving, departing the family nest. We're on great terms with her family. You know, letting them know that she she knows she's loved and she loves them. And so and so that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And of course, that now the family can have cut the umbilical cord between themselves and Ruby to where they can get on with their own thing without having to have Ruby there every five minutes to kind of do stuff for them. So they've gained their independence, if you will. Now they're, they're able to, to become more independent people and also are branching out, like you guys mentioned, when it comes to the rest of the community. So it's very much a win-win situation for everyone. And of course, uh, you know, we don't we don't have a sequel to this, but you know, one can assume or hope that Ruby does really, really well in Berkeley and the family does well when it comes to their business. So uh, yeah, it was a very uplifting ending, a very positive ending. And uh, I definitely had a, had a big old smile on my face as, as the credits rolled. So speaking of faces, because this, this is, is an interesting one, let's get to with the Academy segment. This film did win Best Picture during the 94th Academy Awards, held at the Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles. March the 27th of 2022 was our date. Your hosts for the night were Regina Hall, Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes. And presenting the award for Best Picture were Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli. This film was run running up against nine other movies, Belfast, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. And this, of course, was also the Academy Award of the Slap Heard Around the World. Where, Keep of course, Will Smith's name out your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Zan, because indeed, as Zan was alluding to, Will Smith did slap uh, Chris Rock when it came to this particular uh, uh, Academy Award, and that was mostly what people were talking about the next day rather than who won what and so on so rachel starting with you uh would you like to share any thoughts on the slap and do you think the right movie won this year <laughs> ever so like uh, like what's the decade something has to happen at the academy awards where people are just like yep yeah whether it's streaking or you know calling the wrong winner or something <laughs> oh it's gonna be something that's the thing with live tv and yeah stuff like this so um although really you would expect something more like this from the what is it the i guess the golden globes where they sit down and they have like a meal and they give them drinks and stuff so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a, get a few glasses or something into somebody, but hey, whatever. Um, just a, it's a thing. It's a thing that happened, and you know, whatever. Uh, you know, it, if if we learned anything, which we have not, when you are when you are uh, not even when you're hosting, but any time that you're uh, really these award ceremonies. Need to try to stop doing bits, especially with people who aren't funny. Uh, because we saw that with the Golden Globes, yeah. The, the, the guy that hosted it, you know, 
was awful. Uh, but then there were several times where it's like, and you know, here to announce this award is this person and this person. And then they were like trying to do some banter that they are obviously reading off the teleprompter because it's not coming naturally to them. And it doesn't sound natural. It's like, okay, just let them go up and like, maybe say something about the award, like maybe something historical or something, you know, give us a bit of trivia, but quit trying to make people do funny bits when they're not funny or they're people that aren't inclined to humor, <laughs> you know, especially Taylor Swift this, was this not situation. amused at the recent. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. She, she knows how to take it though and turn around and use it later when they least expect it. So, uh, if you're going to pick on someone, at least you know, you're not going to get retaliated at right away. Uh, no one's going to come up and slap you. <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, the whole slap thing, that was just, it's its a thing that'll go with the history books. So um, that's, that, that's Taylor, as uh, Forrest Gump said, that's all I got to say about that. Um, as far as winning, this is one of those where I'm just kind of like, eh, yeah, sure, maybe, why not? Ask me a different day, you might get a different answer. Um, I mean, going into it, it looked like Power of the Dog was going to take it because that had all the momentum going into it. So then when Coda popped up, you know, winning all three of the awards it was nominated for, um, it just kind of, yeah, was a surprise for a lot of people. Um, there's not really anything in this particular year that I feel really strongly about. It's just one of those, like, if F it had been, insert other film here, I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, you know, uh, the Power of the Dog was was good. Um, you know, some superb acting in that. I mean, it's a quote-unquote western which is totally not my thing but you know it's not like traditional western this happens to be set kind of in the west and people wear blue jeans and herd cattle um <laughs> so um uh so you know fitted one i've been like yeah that tracks because that seemed the way it was going um you know this remake of west side story i know people were like really you know, especially Spielberg directing it, like he's directing a musical. You know, a lot of people are like, well, but you know, at least there was an Indy Brown face in this version. So, you know, we'll give that. Uh, and Ariana DeBose is fantastic in it. Um, so, you know, I like this, I like this version of it. Um, uh, you know, we've, We've seen the occasional uh, animated film get nominated for Best Picture. I think Encanto is a fantastic animated film. I know as much as people were getting annoyed about having Bruno stuck in their head. Uh, <laughs> it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's gonna get stuck in your head. That's what he does. Um, and it's a, it's a really fantastic you know, animated, animated film from, from Disney with a, a great plot that doesn't center on like romance or anything. You know, it's a family centered film, you know, very much kind of in, in line with, you know, Coco where it's not a princess falling in love, 
and getting her happily ever after. It's about a family that's got some issues and they need to work it out. And they just happen to sing every now and then uh, in the process. <laughs> so, um, and I really like Tick, Tick, Boom. I think that was, I think that was a, a really interesting film to, you know, learn it, have, telling the story, but not it being like the full bio film but it is a biopic of this gentleman who you know was a struggling artist and had all these ups and downs and you know eventually you know got the inspiration to write what is one of the most beloved musicals of the 20 you know the late 20th century in rent but never got to see his success because of an untimely death by no fault of his own. You know, it was a fluke medical thing, you know. Um, you know, it's not like he was doing drugs or anything and overdosed. It's not like somebody murdered him. It was just one of those things. But um, it's done really, it's shot really, really well with these it goes kind of the route that rocket man did where the musical numbers they just kind of flow into them and you get these really interesting visuals and uh lots of if you know if you're a broadway nerd lots of cameos <laughs> from some very well-known <laughs> stage actors and actresses um and uh, honestly, I you know outside of you know I've I, outside of Spider Man, I haven't really watched Andrew Garfield and a whole lot of stuff. So I was really genuinely impressed with him in this. <laughs> so it's a really great performance by Andrew Garfield. So I mean, honestly, any of those could have walked away with the statue, and I would have been like, yeah, I'm okay with that, including the one that did win. So I don't have I don't really have a, a, a front running horse in this race. They're all just kind of neck and neck, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, very diplomatic for sure. And Zan, uh, your thoughts, uh, if you wish, of course, on The Slap. And do you think the right movie won this year? Well, the one thing I want to say about The Slap is that the um, the rumor going around was that it was a joke written by Amy Schumer. And say what you want to about Amy Schumer. She didn't write that joke. <laughs> um, Chris Rock just came up, came up with it off the top of his head. Um, no pun intended. Um, and I think part of the reason why it was so unfunny is because, first of all, uh, G.I. Jane's a 30-year-old movie. Like, why are we making G.I. Jane jokes? And second of all, it's more ableist bullshit. You know, it, it, you know she's, she doesn't have a shaved head because she thinks that it's a good fashion statement. She has alopecia. <laughs> so it's like, it, that's like making fun of somebody like, you know wow eat a sandwich you aids victim it's like you know making fun of someone for being too thin because they're an aids victim or someone for being hairless because they had cancer like imagine if she had been going through cancer and he made this really outdated joke and that i think was the biggest issue for me with joe coy at the at the golden globes because he was making kind of outdated references and really sort of turning it into a roast rather than a host. And it's like, I don't, 
I don't know. There's a way to make fun of people that's not not make fun, but there's a way of, of poking fun at someone in a way that is funny. Like we saw with Karen Culkin, you know, suck it, Pedro, mine. And then and then at uh, what was it? The Emmys. Pedro Pascal got him back. <laughs> so there's ways of doing it. And that's just not the way of doing it. And, you know, first of all, Jade is not even nominated. Like she's just there because Will's nominated. Like, why are we doing that? Um, also at the same time, I'm really upset about, and I do think that Will Smith deserves the penalty he got. He's not allowed at any Oscar, so any Oscar ceremony for the next 10 years. Um, he made this Oscars all about him. Um, the same way the streaker made, made that Oscars all about him, that kind of deal. Um, but he really made this all about him. This is the Oscars where Will Smith smacked Chris Rock. We are not talking about this being the first Oscars where a, an openly queer woman of color won best supporting actress. And that's what we should be talking about with this Oscars. There were some first, there were some firsts, um, I believe Am I correct in saying uh, Troy Kotzer is the first uh, non-hearing uh, man to win Best Actor? Um, I believe so. Yeah. I so we this is some... the first. This is the first film from a uh, exclusive streaming service streaming. to win. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so so take that, Scorsese. <laughs> there's some yeah, exactly. There's some big deals going on this year, and Will Smith made it all about himself. And I don't want to say that I was disappointed that he won because I have issues with King Richard as a movie because I don't know if we need to center a movie around the success of the of the Williams sisters around their dad I mean their dad was you know, yes, he made a list and he had a vision for his daughters, blah, 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 blah. but it happened because his daughters were the best players ever. Like Serena is like the best player ever. <laughs> it's like Serena Williams, Rod Laver. I mean, it, I mean, there she is. Hey, congratulations, your genetic material managed to create two goats. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yes, yeah. you're you were able to wheel and deal your way into keeping your family together while your two amazing tennis playing daughters became amazing frigging tennis players. Um, I want to see a movie about Venus. I want to see a movie about Serena. I don't really necessarily want to see a movie about him. Um, seeing a movie about their childhood and what they, you know, and what they did to get to, um, Rick Macy's camp and you know how the how he wanted to make sure that they stayed kids and didn't fall prey to issues like Jennifer Capriati had Jennifer Capriati wasn't also as good also wasn't as good um I would like to have seen something like that but I would have wanted it to center on the two women that we're talking about here um I cannot express enough how incredible these two women are playing tennis specifically Serena and that's from a purely from a record standpoint um, you know, it, it's like, it's like the Williams sisters, Steffi Graf, Martina, Billie Jean, it, they're, they're just, there's, there's nothing better than them. <laughs> there really isn't much better than them. And we're focusing on the dad. Okay. Whatever. Which is why I was glad that didn't win best picture. Um, 
I'm kind of with Rachel in this one. Like, these are all good movies. There's nothing in here that I really wouldn't want to win except for King Richard. Because, like I said, I don't like that it centers. It makes it like their achievements were because of him having focus. And their opportunities were because of him having focus. Their achievements were because they had the talent. Um, Like I said, Belfast, Licorice Pizza... These are all, you know, Coda, these are all kind of slice of, even Drive My Car are kind of slice of life movies. Um, Don't Look Up Again, we have another dark comedy, um, which is very, very relevant. Um, Power of the Dog, talk about hating your main character, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> So, you know, you thought you hated him in 12 Years a Slave. You had no idea. Um, these are all fine movies. And Dune, I was not expecting to win Best Picture. I think Dune was the most outstanding production this year. I mean, it it everything fell into place perfectly. I know the Academy's not giving it to a sci-fi movie. And well, not to a part one, knowing that there's not another to a part half one, coming. That's for damn sure. Yeah. So I would have loved to have seen it, but I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, West Side Story proves that Steven Spielberg can pretty much do anything but at the same time we've kind of been there done that and if we are going to been there done that with West Side Story I would rather it be with Ariana DeBose winning for the same character that Rita Moreno won for I think that's more interesting and that says more about the performances because that's what makes West Side Story so special are the performances. Um, Nightmare Alley was the most beautiful, unnecessary movie I've ever seen. It was so similar to its original. Everybody did a fantastic job. I think, you know, I, I, I personally think that it probably should have won like costumes in or, or something, even though they were period costumes. I would say production design if it weren't for the fact that Dune was up for production design and Dune absolutely should have done production design. Um, cinematography it was also up for cinematography, but so was Dune. So it's a tough one for me because what was great about it was that it was beautiful. It just was unnecessary. It was kind of an unnecessary remake. Um, I, uh, I don't feel like I can say the same thing about West Side Story. Because I do feel like we deserved a West Side Story that didn't have brown face. So, but yeah, Nightmare Alley, gorgeous movie that I feel like I'd seen already. Like I knew it was coming around every turn. And, you know, if you haven't seen the original, they're both worth it. <laughs> um, Licorice Pizza, fine movie. Not my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. If I was going to give anything to Paul Thomas Anderson, it would have absolutely have been Boogie Nights. Um, like I said... Will Smith did a fantastic job as Richard Williams. He really did. And he did a fantastic job of making you realize that he's kind of kind of a selfish douche. But he really did focus on making sure his girls had the opportunities they needed to be the best in the world as they could have been. Um, so you both liked him and were incredibly annoyed by him. And so he was really good with that. I would have loved to have seen Andrew Garfield get nominated, not just for Tick, Tick, Boom, but also for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. He was so good as Jim Baker. He was wonderful. Um, Javier, Benedict, Denzel, always good. Always worth always worth the Oscar. 
I loved Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye because it reminded me that as much as I hated the Bakers, Tammy Faye did a hell of a lot for AIDS awareness in a way that we hadn't seen before. We hadn't seen religious people on the AIDS awareness train. And I had forgotten about that in this room. And she did such a fantastic job of it. However, where the hell is Amelia Jones in this category? Um, you know, these are, these are all fantastic, all fantastic actors. Olivia Coleman, give her awards for being Olivia Coleman. Penelope Cruz, always wonderful. Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball was wonderful. Kristen Stewart, say what you want to about her, but I loved her as a kid in Panic Room. And as Diana Spencer, she did a fantastic job. Um, it's creepy. It's very creepy. Is she Elizabeth Debicki? No. <laughs> I think Elizabeth Debicki did a better job. But she did an incredible job. I might have taken Kristen Stewart out and thrown Amelia Jones in. Amelia Jones did an incredible, incredible job. Um, again, these are... You know, these are these are good actors for Best Supporting Actor, but I loved seeing Troy Kotzer in this because he grew so much as a character and was so nuanced as a character. Like like Rachel said, he cracked us up and he infuriated us at the same time to all audiences, to non-hearing and hearing audiences. And so I think he really did something incredible there. Um, I, again, Ariana DeBose, I can't. She's absolutely who I would have given this to, except maybe Anjanou Ellis. I really, really loved her in King Richard because Venus and Serena also had a mom, goddammit. <laughs> so we, had, we had that reminder. I would have absolutely given adapted screenplay to Dune instead of Coda. As well-written as this was, the way Dune was written for the screen... We've seen it done before, and I love it. I, it's David Lynch. I adore it. It's David Lynch. It's Dino. <laughs> it's David Lynch and Dino. How can you go wrong? But it's boring. It you know the way that they knew that this movie needed to be two parts, and the way that they took a book that millions of people have read and a movie that millions of people have already seen. This is another. This is a remake that we deserved another another remake that we absolutely deserved um it made this movie even though i knew what was coming around every corner i know this story in and out so well <laughs> i was captivated and so again i would have given i would have definitely given this given this to dune um i'm looking for other things that we were nominated for here um where we where my best animated no we're not we're not there um I, I love that Dune won Best Original Score, and I loved that this movie didn't have a score, really. The music in this movie was the music she listened to and the music she sang, and I thought that was that was fantastic. Um, yeah, like I said before, sound, give it to Dune. Best Production Design, give it to Dune, even though Nightmare Alley was pretty darn good for, for being pretty. Cinematography, give it to Dune, even though Nightmare Alley was pretty. Makeup, 100%. Eyes of Tammy Faye. I mean, that's that it, it just feels coming to America would have been fantastic too, because the makeup in coming to America was wonderful. Um, the makeup in House of Gucci was wonderful as well. But you kind of have to give Eyes of Tammy Faye the makeup award. You just kind of have to, because that's what we talked about in the 80s when it came to Tammy Faye Baker. Um, 
you know, Dune again gets editing, Dune gets visual effects. So, you know, I'm happy with what Dune won because I'm pretty sure it, yeah, a part one was not going to get a best picture. Um, but yeah, I would have, I would have given, um, best adaptive screenplay to Dune over Coda. But when it comes to all of our slice of life movies that we have here this year, I think Coda is very special because it is very, it's very different. Um, I might also have added Sean Hedder to the best director list. Um, just a little sick of Kenneth Branagh's shit, I think, is my problem. Um, he, he does a fine job. I absolutely adored his, the sleuth that he did with Michael Caine and Jude Law. But I'm just sick of his shit. I might have taken him out and put him in Oh, I, I love that. I mean, I guess then you're kind of with with uh, Black Adder when he kind of slaps Shakespeare in one of the episodes, like this is for Kenneth Branagh kind of thing. But um, um, yeah, you, you know, some some great points there, there, there for sure, Zan. Um, here here's the thing. I there's some great movies this year. I mean, I think Belfast somewhat reminded uh, me of the film Hope and Glory from 1987. Where where there it was World War II seen through the eyes of a child. Oh, talk about he, a fabulous ending. Oh when yeah. I, when he comes around the corner and the school's blown up and he's so happy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it is I love that moment. Because you know, there we had World War II through the eyes of a child. Here we have the Irish troubles seen through the eyes of a child. And you know, I yes, Kenneth Branagh can have his problems, but I thought it was brilliantly and virally told by Kenneth and his actors, especially Dame Judi Dench. And of course, the beautiful and strong Katrina Balfe did some did fabulous jobs. Now, I know that Don't Look Up very much fits the mold of an Adam McKay film, i.e., like you mentioned, Zan, the use of satire and black comedy to tell a bigger story. And for the most part, it worked for me, but it is Adam McKay. I guess I have a problem with Adam McKay because his narrative can be a little ham-fisted at times. And to me, his best film is still Vice. I'm so glad that Drive My Car won Best International Film, as I was so engrossed in the story and where it would go. And I cannot say enough good things about uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi and his crew. Such a great movie. And just like you, Zan, I'm a, you know, we're, we're both fans of tennis. And of course, the story of the Williams sisters and focus on their father, Richard Williams, was well told by Reynaldo Marcus Green and well-written by Zach Balin. I personally would like to just have a movie about the Williams sisters. And as much as we don't like to talk about Will these days, I think he did a decent job in bringing Richard Williams to life. When it came to Licorice Pizza, as cute and sweet as it is, and the great performance given by Alana Haim and the look we get into growing up in the 70s and being a young person during that time. I'm going to do my Rachel impression. He's 15! <laughs> That's right. He's 15, damn it. And here's the thing. I very much got American Graffiti vibes, which was made the year this movie is set in. Of course, that film is set in the 60s. And I kind of preferred what George Lucas did with that compared to what Paul Thomas Anderson did with this. And the fact of it being also a little predictable may have made it lose some points in my eyes. So it does show he's definitely a versatile director, going from something like Boogie Nights to There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread to something upbeat and fun like this. 
Speaking of homages, you know, to bygone eras, what Del Toro did with Nightmare Alley is absolutely spectacular. And he's the kind of story which is right up his alley, no pun intended. There's some great performances. It was well shot and scored. And granted, it's a remake. But I thought it was a cool way of bringing the bygone genre of film noir to a modern audience uh, as much as it wasn't, ne it wasn't necessary. We, I agree with you, Zan. It's an unnecessary movie, as beautiful as it is, and as much as what um, was done on screen. Speaking of which, uh, I think Steven Spielberg did, did enough of his own thing with West Side Story compared to the Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins Best Picture winning version of 61. I agree, Rana DeBose totally deserved her Oscar for portraying a stupendous Anita. But as much as Steven did try to give his own take the story, it did, of course, play like I've seen this already 62 years ago. That, that said, it's still quite a spectacle. Power of the Dog is very much a Jane Campion film, especially when you think of something like The Piano, which this movie does borrow some beats from, and The Piano. And uh, I thought the story was very strong and has quite the twist, together with a very chilling ending. I was like, ooh, that gave me goosebumps. And I definitely have to applaud Kirsten Dunst, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Cody Smith-McPhee for some stunning performances. Now, as heartwarming and well done a movie as Coda is, to me, the Best Picture Award this year should have gone to Dune. In my mind, this film satisfies all the criteria of what a Best Picture is. Great direction, good acting, awesome cinematography and sound, and a very fitting soundtrack provided by Hans Zimmer. That said, I'm happy Coda won. I'm just crossing everything, my toes, my eyes, you name it that when we get, I don't know if it's going to be two parts or three parts. We get a that, Return that, of the King. I hope we get a we Return get, of the King for this one. I hope we get a Return of the King scenario where it's literally a clean sweep for the, for the Dune people. And Dune wins Best Picture. I'm hoping that's the case. Because if not, I'll be, I'll be a very unhappy camper because this was such a brilliant movie. And I'm not even... I'm not even as widely read or, or as um, knowledgeable about the Dune universe like you are, Zan. This is my first introduction to Dune. I went into this completely cold. I'd only like watched one of my buddies play the video game, so I knew about the spice thing. But even though I knew nothing about this movie, I'm like, this is so captivating. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. So to me, I would have given it to Dune. And I'm hoping the Academy is playing the long game when it comes to the 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 uh, the next parts coming out and then giving it to them. That said, Coda, okay, you want it, it does do some great things, but I still would have given it to Dune. I'm sorry. So <laughs> let's get to ratings. Then. I think I'm channel. I think I'm channeling Ruby levels of cynicism and realism. Like I know this is just not going to happen as much as I want it. I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> I good good point. I guess I guess you make a point there. It's just that I'm like, oh man, it's just so good. Um, and in fact, I was, I was actually, I remember just spouting my love for this movie to both of you and to Charles, Charles Skaggs, of course, and there's another huge Dune fan <laughs> of everything Dune related. So, so there is that. Was this but our yeah. first year of getting Timothy Chalamet refusing to wear a shirt? That was it. it. Yeah. I think it might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I recall you pointing it out when we were doing our Oscars game on, on, uh, on, on social media and you were pointing yeah. out about timothy chalamet being shirtless so <laughs> how do you let him in there with no shirt on what the hell <laughs> i don't know i guess i guess he, he's he's that 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 charming charismatic of a lad i guess um but yeah going getting back to, to coda here what what do you give uh coda out of tenzan i give it an eight i think it has really fantastic performances and 
like I said, as as difficult as the parents are for me to watch. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I'm in a weird place of having parents expecting you to take care of them. <laughs> I'm just I'm still dealing with the with the aftermath of that after the death of my father. But um, it's a great lesson on how to be a loving family, but how to have freaking boundaries. Very well played. And uh, Rachel, what do you give this one? Oh, I'm going to give this one a seven and a half because uh, it's uh, it's been some fantastic acting. Like I said, you know, if I want to slap somebody, that's a, a testament to their to their acting ability. Um, you know, it's like Power of the Dog, you know, it's like, yo, you really hate Benedict Cumberbatch yet. We were so sympathetic for him in the imitation game. So, you know, that's the show how good an actor he is. Um I do, I kind of, you know, this movie, it's, I mean, it's only 111 minutes long, so it's not super long, you know, it's uh, slightly under two hours, and I, I just, I think they could have given this just a little bit more, maybe as far as backstory and some other character development type things and maybe done a few things a little differently you could have cut out a montage maybe and that would have given you room for a little something else or a couple other things so it's good but it could have been a little better fair enough i'm also going to give this an eight out of ten as i definitely enjoyed it as i mentioned before at the top of this review i ran the gamut of emotions with our characters and uh and yes, uh, I, I can't say enough good things, especially what not only about, our, of course, our lead. You know, Amelia did a fabulous job. And of course, Troy, just just fabulous. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him for sure, because after having watched him doing what he did and just my face palming and my laughing, like I'm genuinely having a good time here. And I think if a movie can be both entertaining and can bring a strong message, you know, you've done something special. So once again, uh, Shan Hader, kudos to doing for, for bringing us such a great movie. So it's an eight out of 10 for me. So uh, getting to gold standard feedback, we have some this week from Shalane. Rachel, what does Shalane have to say today? Oh, Shalane has... Let me make sure I get to the right one. Because <laughs> I have feedback from Shalane for... Upcoming five-ish fangirls. There we go. <coughs> Shalane, your name ends up in my inbox a lot. All right. Uh, she says, hello, friends, and a happy new year. I don't have much to say on this one because this year was when COVID ruined everything and all the movies are either postponed or went streaming. But I'll say my favorite films to 2020 are Onward, Soul, Scoob, Winter Woman 1984, Doolittle, and Mulan, which is her guilty pleasure. Anyway, I do have New Year's resolution, which is to watch Best Picture winning movies for one month, starting with West Side Story. Last thing yeah, I remember, No Man Land was directed by the same director for Turtles. Another last thing, I read Melissa. Disney claims to be a distant relative of Walt Disney. I mean, it is a unique last name, but uh, I knew someone with the last name Disney. As far as he knew, he was not related at all. So... Okay, now onto your Patreon review of The Greatest Showman. I really love this film. I wish I'd been nominated for Best Picture, but at least it was nominated for Best OG Song. Fun fact about The Greatest Showman, Kayla Settle attended the same college I did. Also, Lauren Alfred attended college here in Utah. Also, the songwriters for the movie, Paul and Pasek, have done Dear Evan Hansen, La La Land, and they're going to do music for the upcoming Snow White remake. They also did music for an episode of Only Murders in the Building. Woo! 
No wonder it's so catchy. Plus, I also wrote the song Speechless for the live-action version of Aladdin with Alan Megan. I also like Hugh Jackman in this movie musical more than Lamus. <laughs> Plus, this is Zac Efron's fourth musical after Hairspray and the High School Musical trilogy. Also, Zach lip-synced in the first High School Musical, and that's all I have to say about The Greatest Showman. Last thing, this was around when The Last Jedi and Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle were released, and everyone saw The Last Jedi, but people love Jumanji and The Greatest Showman more. One more thing, I promise both Zac Efron and Zendaya were in Disney Channel shows, but not the same ones. The Disney Channel show that Zendaya was in was called Shake It Up. She was brilliant in the Spider-Man movies. I, I certainly agree. Zendaya can do no wrong in my books when it comes to her acting. She's definitely going from strength to strength. And we also have... Speaking some, of Dune. Speaking of you, <laughs> exactly. And so excited about the second part. I mean, I know I'm turning this into a Dune love fest here, but um, so excited for the second part. And we actually do have some quick feedback here from Aaron, who uh, commented on uh, on X uh, when it came to, to Coda. And he briefly says, it's certainly a movie that exists. I think the Academy decided that we were due for a feel-good winner. And this was their choice. Give me Tick, Tick, Boom or Spider-Man No Way Home over this any day. So that's how Aaron feels. And I will agree, Spider-Man No Way Home is a fabulous movie and so is Tick, Tick, Boom. And uh, But uh, yeah, so I guess... Uh, I guess that, that those are Aaron's Aaron's thoughts on that. So, of course, a big thank you to Aaron. Of course, a big thank you to Shalane for your for your contributions on this episode. And of course, should you folks want to be like Shalane and Aaron, uh, you can uh, weigh in on the conversation by shooting us an email to goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. Once again, that's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, for, or rather X, formerly known as Twitter, where you were at Oscars Gold, or on Facebook, where you can find us as Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We love hearing from you guys, and we appreciate the follow and the support. Also, if you'd like to hear us discuss your favorite Oscar nominee or film that you feel deserve to be part of the Golden Conversation, like Shalane with the Greatest Showman, you can join our wonderful family of patrons on Patreon and check out the great movies we have going on there. And you'll get to unlock our reviews of such films as the Greatest Showman, The Sound of Metal, Singing in the Rain, and uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, and many more. And next month, folks, is a sneak preview. We will be taking on Inception. Speaking of Oscar nominees, and speaking, I've obviously of Mr. Nolan, who's doing doing very well with his movie Oppenheimer. We'll see what happens when the Academy Awards arrive. But, it's like uh, you yeah. planned it or something. I know. Nick? <laughs> The podcast gods are good to us that way. It's like, oh, you know, there you go. And Nolan movie for, uh, for uh, you know, while Nolan is doing really well with his latest movie. So, of course, to join our Golden Army, head on over to patreon.com slash Oscars. And a big thank you to our wonderful patrons for their support. And last but certainly not least, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or other such platforms, we, we really would appreciate if you rate and review us as that allows this little show of ours to uh, grow and, of course, keeps the algorithm stimulated and allows us to reach more ears for sure. So a big thank you to those who have done that and a future thank you to those who will. And Rachel, uh, speaking of you, when you're not here discussing uh, these Best Picture winning movies, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, you can uh, find me with the... Lavish Fangirls Podcast, or a weekly pop culture entertainment podcast where we talk about all sorts of geeky and dirty topics from the female perspective, because fangirls are real fans, too. It can be found pretty much wherever you find podcasts and at the fiveishfangirls.com where you can connect with all our various social media accounts and my personal ones as well. 
Uh, and where you can also find information about our nonprofit Fangirls Give Back. Fantastic stuff. And uh, Zan, uh, speaking of David Lynch, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, if you want to hear me talk more about David Lynch, check my back catalog of Ghost with the Twin Peaks podcast that I did with our friend Charles Skaggs. Um, we pretty much exhausted David Lynch content, so that's on hiatus until David Lynch does another movie. Please do another movie, David Lynch. Um, you can also listen to me and Charles on Drunk Cinema, where we listen to our favorite movies over our favorite adult beverages and talk about them and record that for posterity and your entertainment. If you're looking to find me on social media, your best bets would be Instagram or TikTok, where my handle is Udenax19. And definitely follow Zan and all her crazy adventures indeed, folks, because they're very entertaining for sure. I know that my mother now follows you, Zan. So if you uh, you see any comments uh, from somebody over there over here in Italy, it's actually my mother. So, so now, um, now you know. On, on Instagram or, or TikTok? Which one do I, I on, on Instagram. She follows That's you fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. She she told me she recently came across your, your, your Instagram account. She's like, this Zan person is really fun. I'm like, I'm glad you agree, mother. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and when it comes to me, folks, you can find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play the very best and nothing but the best of country music for you guys from Alabama to Zach Brown. And for more information about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. If you're fans of those superhero movies on the podcast side of things, you can find myself in Keith Bliss on Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we review any and every superhero movie known to mankind, even beyond the big two. Speaking of which, we recently reviewed Alita Battle Angel and had a good time talking about that movie. Next time, we're going to go more classic superheroes. We're going to be reviewing Green Lantern First Flight. So looking forward to that. And last but certainly not least, speaking of that dude, Charles Skaggs, him and I have reopened the fandom zone and are currently reviewing Echo the latest MCU TV show. And uh, it's uh, shaping up to be quite the great conversation indeed, as it always tends to be with, with Charles. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we will be discussing the 2022 Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert film, Everything Everywhere, All at Once. So, Rachel and Zan, anything else you guys would like to add on this next movie of ours or anything else before we sign off? I'm so excited. <laughs> I might have to uh, break out my Rakakuni costume for our for a podcast. I'd love to see that. I definitely would. <laughs> please do, Zan. If you, if you decide to do that, googly eyes do. and rocks are at the ready. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly, but for sure. So, uh, so I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about when it comes to this particular movie. So that said, folks, thanks. Is, it, all is uh, sorry. As I say, is it is uh, is a. Uh, Maybe another another teaser is uh, next episode. Also, when our listeners are going to find out what we're going to be doing after everything, yeah. everywhere, and all at once. Yes, indeedy, there will be the big reveal of what will be happening while we wait for our next next picture. And believe you me, folks, Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might very much be it, unless the unless the Academy decides to vote otherwise. But. Um, yes, they, we definitely will be having some news for you guys and uh, do not worry, we're not going away. And for those who, you know, we're hoping we were going away, we're not going away. We're going to be staying. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. But we will we will have news for you and updates when it comes to that when during our, the course of our review of everything, everyone at once. 
So, of course, folks, thanks as always to this edition and supporting us. We will see you next time with this latest movie. And until then, enjoy those movies. Keep that popcorn hot. And thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Ciao. Nothing. <laughs>